Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as I take a big breath, and we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Oh, I'm doing great. I can't wait. Um, after Fall Brawl, we're going to get the NWO Tag Team Tournament and or the NWO Tag Team Titles. One of those two might be happening, or both might be happening, or and I, or we'll get a whole new set of uh, of uh, requests from the NWO tonight. So I'm I'm looking forward to whatever they're going to say it is. Well, before we get into that, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro, and you can email the show at Twenty Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is Monday, September 16th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Asheville Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina, in front of about 5,000 fans, 2,800 of whom paid for a total gate of $44,000. This is the 53rd episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we are eager to see how the fallout from Fall Brawl changes the landscape for WCW as we begin the build to Halloween Havoc. Yeah, especially it, it'll be interesting to find out the status of Lex Luger because Lex Luger may either have been okay <laughs> or his back is broken and he's never going to wrestle again. He we, was we, last seen on all fours going, Stinger! Stinger! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know he's going to have a broken heart tonight, that's for sure. Yeah, so we know, you know, we've already got the main event set for Halloween Havoc. We've got mm. uh, Randy Macho Man Savage taking on the WCW World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan. Uh, we've talked a lot over the last few episodes about how right now Randy Savage is not in any uh, condition to challenge for that belt. Just character-wise, he's been killed. He's been stunted. Yep. He does not seem anything resembling a legitimate threat. Mm -hmm. uh, WCW, I believe, uh, it's somewhere in my notes later in the show, but we've got like either five or six Nitros before Halloween Havoc. We've got a big, fresh set. Yeah. So there is a long time to rehab that character, but I do think they need to start doing that tonight. So let's see. How we do. Tony welcomes us to Asheville, and if he's upset that the NWO won War Games, you don't hear it in his standard welcome to the show. Yeah, he's yep. as pumped up and as excited as ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he does say that he's got bad news and that the NWO won, and we see some still images from Fall Brawl as Larry laments what happened and claims that if we had trusted Sting like he said, WCW would have won. Now, do you remember Larry ever saying that we should trust Sting? Yeah, pretty sure that's not what happened. Maybe it happened on Saturday night if I want to really give him the benefit of the doubt or pro or something like that. But. Well, then again, uh, Larry is probably the kind of guy where it's like he says so many different opinions yeah. that he probably is on record at some point saying to trust him. <laughs> but also the same night right. probably said not to trust him whatsoever. So We see way too many stills from Fall Brawl. Mm -hmm. They show us, for some reason, they show us every guy entering the match. Like, not getting into the uh, War Games cage or anything. Right. Just, here's when Scott Hall came through the curtain. Here's when Kevin Nash came through the curtain. Here's when Ric Flair came through the curtain. Yeah. There's, we, that's such an unimportant aspect to highlight. It's hilarious. Right. NWO Sting here is called an imposter and, quote, the bogus Sting. Uh, so they are not really using that NWO Sting nickname that Bobby Heenan coined last night. We'll see if they get to that throughout the show. Mm -hmm. We then see the post-match destruction of Savage and Elizabeth's attempts to save her ex. 
uh, we see the spray painting of Elizabeth's dress, which Tony says is the most disgusting thing he's ever seen. Ever. Uh, yeah, the same, like within the same 30 seconds, Hulk spit on Liz. He's more <laughs> mad about spray painting her dress than <laughs> spitting on her head. <laughs> Not to mention when he was standing over her, just sweating all over her too. Ugh. Equally as gross. Tony personally apologizes for being wrong about Sting, and apparently the reason that Sting was not on the show last week, according to Shivani, uh, is that he was in Japan. Mm-hmm. So somehow nobody in WCW knew that. Not Lex, not Bischoff, not Tony. Sting was just in Japan on the night that they always have their big show. <laughs> right. And nobody was aware of that. Nobody in the front <laughs> office, nobody in the travel department who bought his tickets for him, presumably. Mm-hmm. That's that's a real strange excuse, and it's going to get a little stranger the more they talk about it throughout the show. Yeah, and and I still, like I mentioned, um, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the last Nitro or during Fall Brawl, is that there's the, the five or six days between Nitro and uh, Fall Brawl that we didn't hear from Sting. Right. Like, there's no accounting for those days, whether it was him or not. Um, and so hopefully if we, because um, I'm sure we'll hear from Sting, which we will, um, if there'll be some sort of explanation for those days, kind of fill the gap there. Larry is unsympathetic, calling Sting a sensitive individual and saying that if you're so sensitive, you should go work for Mother Teresa. <laughs> I Sure. Yeah, I don't really like get how that tracks exactly. Like, if you're really sensitive, you'd think working around the poorest people in the whole world would make you just like go home and cry in a little like you need to be completely insensitive you right. you have to have a great degree of insensitivity to be able to like get up and go to work every day yeah i think he was he was thinking about like compassion yeah, there we go but it was just he just completely he just in. he just conflates all those girly emotions <laughs> right <laughs> with that old girl mother Teresa. <laughs> we then see footage of people walking into the arena earlier tonight and being handed flyers by the no-good teens. So many teens. Uh, they are back tonight in droves. I feel like this is uh, part of uh, Teddy Biasi's scheme, yeah. in which he's like, well, they're, if they're like teenagers, I can pay them minimum wage then. Sure. So <laughs> yeah. he's saving a few bucks here and there by getting the teenagers to do the work. We're then treated to Juventud Guerrero's music, which is really starting to grow on me. It's a pretty great tune. Yeah. And uh, he, somehow by losing last night to Conan for the Mexican heavyweight title, has made him the number one contender for the cruiserweight title tonight. Yeah, he gets bumped down a weight. <laughs> Out next is Tijuana's own, the WCW cruiserweight champ, Rey Mysterio Jr., fresh off a successful title defense last night against Super Colo. As the bell rings, Shivani again personally apologizes to Sting, and says that he should have done his homework and known Sting was in Japan, to which I say, no shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mark Curtis shows us the belt, and we are off to the races. Hoovy and Ray lock up, and Hoovy immediately does some sort of hip toss that takes Ray down. A second lockup leads to Ray locking up the arm of Hoovy before lifting him up horizontally across his back for a submission that the crowd pops for. He kind of like hooks an arm around one of Hoovy's arms, and then his other elbow around Hoovy's legs, and then stands them up so that they kind of make a cross with their bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think, the crowd seeing this little guy pick up this slightly bigger guy. Oh, it's just yeah. like an impressive little bit of strength, and the crowd really seems to appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. It, and it is pretty cool. Movie escapes and DDT's raise. Tony tells us that the NWO has been making all sorts of demands since their pay-per-view victory, including having their own television show 
as opposed to just their own segment. Tony promises us that we're going to learn more about that over the weeks to come. Uh, this is kind of the beginning of something that we're going to hear a lot with the NWO, um, certainly as we get into Thunder, which is still quite a ways off. But the idea was in place from the very beginning to give the NWO kind of their own piece of programming. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that it starts coming up here this early. And if you're reading the observers at the time, Meltzer is saying, like, eventually they're going to get Saturday night or maybe Nitro. Like, they're kind of working it out. Uh, so it's it's interesting. Like, they've planned that from very early on. And yet, other than, like, sold out the pay-per-view that we eventually get, yeah. they never really do truly get their own quote-unquote show. It never really happens. Yeah, it seemed like it was it was a good idea. But then once they got to the point in which they had to deliver, they're like, yeah, I don't know if we really thought how this is going to work out. Yeah, we're uh, you and I are going to be at uh, an event in a few weeks that Eric Bischoff is going to be at. <laughs> Why don't we ask him? And I've been considering. I just want to know, like, if the NWO had ever gotten their own show, who would they have wrestled? I've just oh, always sure. wanted to know that. Yeah. Would it just be Wolfpack versus Black and White? Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. I'm just. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered, like, who who are they wrestling on their own program? Yeah. Guerrera hits a fallaway slam as Tony runs through some of the stars that we're going to see later tonight. We'll get Super Colo, DDP, Ice Train, Conan, Hugh Morris, and Randy Savage versus Scott Norton in a huge rematch going all the way back to episode two of Monday Nitro. Well, <laughs> is that the one where the shark lands on uh, Scott Norton's yes, legs? Yes, it is, actually. <laughs> yeah, because Norton uh, re-debuted in WCW on the first Nitro, yeah. uh, challenging Savage, and then they had that silly-ass match the next week. Yes. Boy, Norton could use a little bit of redemption there, but I think because I, I think we can both agree that they're probably going to give uh, Savage a bunch of like bigger guys. Yes, because they always feel like that's the best way to to pump him up is to have him wrestle bigger guys. Well, and since he was facing Giant at the pay per view, he's been doing that for a while. He had that match against Big Ron Stud for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, also tonight, we got a huge debut as Glacier is finally going to appear on Monday Nitro. What? How long have we been doing podcasts in which we've talked about the Glacier commercials? I believe May 27th or 28th, whatever that Nitro was, I believe that was the first one. The, the Scott Hall debut, I believe, coincided with the first uh, vignette for Glacier. Oh, really? Okay. I think it was the same night. I, I could be wrong, though. I, I mean, because it takes... There's such a gap between our episodes. It feels like yes. a long, long time. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I'm, you know, finally get to pay off of this, pay, get the payoff of Glacier debuting, and then that means we won't be seeing those commercials anymore, which would be kind of a bonus because yes. like there there was only like three different kinds of them, and we saw them every single time. Mysterio catches Hoovy's ankle between his own legs and slams it to the mat a few times. He pumps up the crowd, who are firmly behind him. The crowd really, really likes Ray tonight. Mm -hmm. We've remarked they're always kind of hot for the opener, and Mysterio's a great uh, opening match guy if you want to keep that enthusiasm going. Yeah, and especially when whenever WCW is in kind of like their area, which yeah. is like the Bible Belt area, right? That they th those fans are always ready for like whatever they are presented. Guerrero downs Mysterio with an elbow, but is soon whacked in the mush by a jumping wheel kick from Ray. Chops get Hoovy back into things, and he's getting pretty good heat from the crowd. I, I don't know exactly what it is because he's only being a little heelish, but we've seen that crowds do not like Guerrera in WCW so far. Sure. Like, if he's trying to be a babyface, they don't like him. They're smart by letting him just, okay, fine, you're, like, somewhat a heel. Mm -hmm. he's, he doesn't cheat or anything, but he's just a little bit of a heel. Hoovy gets launched under the apron by Mysterio, but he manages to come at Ray with a springboard something. 
What exactly, we'll never know, as Ray catches him with a solid drop kick in a nicely executed spot. Tony pitches to commercial, and we very nearly miss Ray hitting a springboard hurricanrana on the floor. <laughs> right. They barely get it in before we go to commercial. <laughs> it's like the the high the high point of the match. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you're gonna miss the whatever happens for the next like thirty <laughs> seconds or whatever. We come back, and somehow Hoovy is now firmly in control. The first thing we see is him getting a two-count, and Larry is practically already in mid-lecture about Ray's high-risk offense costing him this match. Mm -hmm. Guerrero whips as if Hoovy doesn't have high-risk offense. Like, what the... <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, he's go he is going to hate <laughs> Super Kalo. Guerrero whips Ray off the ropes and hits a very solid dropkick to Ray's chest. You don't have to get a lot of height to get Ray right in the chest, but mm -hmm. it connects very nicely all the same. Right, yep. He follows up with a springboard spinning kick that sends Ray to the outside. Hoovy then hits a feet-first dive through the bottom and middle rope that sends Ray sprawling to the concrete floor. Guerrero then jumps back up to the apron and executes a very nice acai moonsault that Ray is in the perfect position to catch. This is an excellent sequence to show uh, the tremendous upside that Hoovy has, mm -hmm. especially when he's working with someone that he's so comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, these guys have been having matches since they were like 15 years old. Yeah. And at this point, I was uh, commending the uh, the announcers being they were like really on task for this match and and appreciating that because like Tony adds like the little note that looks like Ray might have hit his head mm -hmm. on the concrete and and not, who knows if that's going to affect his uh, timing from then on. So, um, you know, I just like to point out when they're actually paying attention to these like cruiserweight matches. Juventud rolls Ray back into the ring and they get to a springboard 450 that only connects maybe 40% as much as he wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't get a ton of reaction and I think it's because there's just been too many high spots in a row that like you're starting to burn the crowd out a little bit. Right. But I also think they just like they're not used to a springboard 450. I just don't think they even have like the capacity to react almost <laughs> like right. I think it's just like whoa you know it's, it's so there's a little bit of a silence that I was surprised given how big of a move that is in any year let alone 1996. It only gets a two count though and Larry speculates that if he had gotten all of it maybe it would have been maybe it would have been a different story. Guerrero sets Ray up on the top rope and then gets on the back of Ray's shoulders and spins around before taking Ray off the top with a hurricanrana. That gets a two count, and we cut outside the arena where the no-good teens are celebrating or picketing or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're holding up NWO signs and chanting NWO and generally making a very low-key, respectable ruckus. Right. <laughs> They're basically loitering. We cut back just in time for the finish of this match as Hoovy attempts a super powerbomb from the top rope, but Mysterio counters it into a hurricanrana in an awesome finish. Yes. Uh, which is mostly... Hooventude's work because he's the one who's got to hold him in a powerbomb position and then flip forward so it looks like Ray's taking him over. Yeah. Because, of course, physically, that'd be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. it just it looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a shame that they had to, like, race back to the ring to just barely catch the awesome finish of this very good match. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be, like, kind of, this is, uh, what's the word, Exhibit A in the trial of WCW treating the cruiserweights like an afterthought. Oh, These yeah. guys are just having an excellent match, and we're mm -hmm. constantly with commercials and high spots. We're going to the no good teens mm -hmm. uh, twice during the match. We go to that. It just they they didn't really give it the attention. You mentioned the announcers. The announcers, you're right, did a, a pretty good job, but the production in general really let this match down. Right. Uh, what do you think of the match? Uh, well, I, I thought it was really good for the the spots that we were able to see. It was a very disrupted match for cuts, right. and and that 
really affects the way how I can feel about a match because I, I missed a good portion of it. Um, that springboard Hurricanrana that was from the top rope to the arena floor was insane. And that's like, there's so much trust that has to go between both of those guys for something right. like that to work. But uh, no, like you were saying, you can definitely see the potential that Juventud Guerra has, even if his timing isn't really that great. I mean, it, it just seems like just with experience um, and maybe getting a bit more used to kind of like these high-profile situations, mm-hmm. which I'm sure his timing's thrown off just by nerves. Um, but uh, no, between that and um, and his match last night against uh, Conan, it's just, you, you feel like that he has the potential to be, you know, as good as Ray Mysterio Jr. So, um, no, I really, I like this match. I mean, the, like you mentioned at the beginning, the booking is very weird. Yeah. But that's just Nitro for you. They just throw title matches together. So we've come to expect that pretty much. And we'll see later. They they just switch the matches from last night. Yeah. So Super Kolo lost to Mysterio last night, so he's going to face Conan later on. Mm-hmm. We go to the back where Mike Tanay is joined in the locker room by Chris Benoit and Steve Mongo McMichael plus Deborah McMichael. We are joined by Steve and Deborah McMichael, along with the Canadian crippler Chris Benoit. I think it was quite obvious that your presence was missed last night at the War Games. Let me tell you what, Lex. You better go find Sting and beg him to come back and get in this match, brother, because I made you a promise. If you let the horseman down at War Games, what was going to happen to you? And, baby, tell the world what happens when your husband makes a promise. i tell you what, Lex and Sting, you better watch out because my husband made a great living in the NFL for 15 years by being up pumped up little bullies like you guys, so you better watch out. Chris Benoit tonight in hour number two of Nitro. Yourself, Steve Mongo McMichael against Lex Luger and Sting. We prophesied that Sting and Lex would debilitate the team. You crossed the path. You crossed the horseman's path. That path is merciless. Unforgive, Phil. Prepare yourself to pay the price. And we are back with more Monday Nitro right after ah! this. They've apparently got a match tonight against Sting and Lex, uh, sort of revenge for letting the horsemen down in war games, like mm-hmm. uh, Benoit and Mongo promised they would do if that were to happen. Mongo says that Lex better go find Sting and beg him to come back. Deborah says that Mongo spent 15 years in the NFL beating up puffed-up bullies like Lex, so he'd better watch out. That's just a small little bit of heel work, but I absolutely love it. I love a, uh, someone like Mongo, who's just a huge, like, his character is a bully. So yeah. for him to have like this woman who's kind of hiding behind him saying like he's been beating up bullies like you when Lex is not at all a bully. That's not a part of his character at all. Right. I just thought that was really, really nice. I really like that particular choice of words. Yeah. Benoit drones on with a very subpar promo, even for Chris. He says that Lex and Sting crossed the horseman's path and that path is a merciless. That's how he says it. Merciless mm-hmm. and unforgetful. Then he points to the camera stiffly and woodenly, declares, prepare yourself to pay the price. And Tanake tosses the commercial as Mongo just screams, ah! Yeah. And definitely not because he's on cocaine. Definitely not. That's <laughs> not the reason why he acted like that. What'd you make of the promo, Dave? I I came to like the, the shocking uh, revelation that uh, at this point, Deborah is better at promos than Chris Benoit is. Yes, I agree. Yeah, because well, because they're I mean they're obviously very different characters, but Deborah executes her character on the mic better than Chris Benoit does. I mean I know 
Chris kind of is like he challenges himself to use like maybe bigger language that he maybe he shouldn't be using because like you said he has a habit of kind of like tripping over his words when he kind of is uh um expanding his vocabulary yeah um and and especially like you were saying it just seemed like it sounded like someone that hasn't done promos before yeah. but he but he has so it he, his uh promo work is really really slow to develop Tony then throws us to a vignette on Glacier, who debuted recently on Pro and who will be making his Nitro debut in hour number two. Back live on Nitro ever since Glacier made his debut last Sunday on WCW Pro on TBS. Everyone's been talking about his unique style and about his background. Here's a special look at Glacier as he brings his unique style to WCW later on tonight. Glacier's a spirit inside of me. The name Glacier was given to me by my master. It's an, an appreciation for the elements, the awesome strength, and the power that's derived from the elements. There was a lot of excitement because Bruce Lee had just hit superstardom. People like that got me excited about wanting to study martial arts. I had a burning desire inside of me that told me that's where I needed to go to learn. So I traveled thousands and thousands of miles and finally ended up in Kyoto, Japan. And what I found was an old master who took me in as a student. I was very happy to let him become my sensei, which in Japanese means teacher. He took a bunch of styles, combined the best of those styles, and came up with an awesome style that was passed along to me. Throughout my travels across the world, especially in Japan, when I was out teaching what I knew, I met some of Japan's most phenomenal wrestlers. And they taught me what they knew. I have now taken a great experience in wrestling and a great experience in martial arts and put the two together to develop a style that I think is superior. The armor and the mask that I wear to the ring are both examples of what I consider a tribute to gladiators throughout the last hundreds of years. In the Japanese language, symbols are used rather than letters. The symbol on my belt is a symbol for the universe. The symbol that is on my face above my eye is a symbol of ice. The symbol that is on my back is a shield that is made into an ancient Japanese face of evil. It always reminds me that there could always be evil lurking behind my back. But that's why I wear it. It's a symbol of respect and honor. A glacier is what's known as a, a mass of moving ice. That's what I am. I'm a mass moving towards whoever my opponent is. To conquer that opponent and win at any cost as long as it's within the rules. Be cool. Is your blood cold yet, Dave? Oh, it's so cold. It's Glacier. <laughs> Holy shit, what a career-killing package they put together there. Yeah. After all this hype, after all these videos and all this time, Glacier comes across here not as a mysterious ninja badass or whatever. He's just a friendly-sounding good old southern boy with wooden-ass delivery of his cheesy lines. Right. It's I, I, I sent uh, you a text when I was watching it, and I was like, it's no surprise his real name is Ray Lloyd. Yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I think your phrasing was like, it's absolutely no surprise that this is just some guy named Ray. <laughs> right. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's just... I feel like that, um, and 
in I get this impression during his actual match when we see it too. Yeah, is that it comes off more and more as a ripoff of the Mortal Kombat movie that was out like oh, a sure. year or so. Yeah, before. yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later when I get into his bio. Uh, which I'm not going to do until his match. So yeah, but then I just thought it was funny um, when he's talking about like how he became like a martial artist and stuff. Yeah, it's like the most generic story possible, and yeah. it's like just challenge me if this is if this sounds like it's uh, alive because <laughs> it sounds like just the biggest made up story that there is. How he traveled thousands and thousands of miles, but it's like no, he got on a plane and went to Japan. That's like you. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't like <laughs> you weren't on a, like a raft or something like that going across the ocean or whatever. So the story is this is kind of how it's presented to us here. This is all Ray Lloyd kind of narrating. Mm-hmm. He says Glacier is the name that was given to him by his master to symbolize his power over the elements and the awesome power that's derived from the elements. And I'm saying it just like he does. He repeats the word elements twice in the same sentence in a really awkward, stupid way. Yeah. He says, quote, there's a lot of excitement because Bruce Lee just did superstardom. <laughs> Bruce Lee died 23 years before this, so I'm not <laughs> sure exactly how old Ray Lloyd is at this point. Just did superstardom? He just did superstardom, yeah. Look, will you look as I go through this? Look up how old Ray Lloyd is in 1996, September of 1996. Okay. Glacier tells us that he had a burning desire to learn the martial arts, so he traveled thousands and thousands of miles and ended up in Kyoto, Japan. There he found an old master who took him in as a student. In the verbatim words of Glacier, this master, quote, took a bunch of styles and combined the best of those styles and came up with an awesome style that was passed along to me. <laughs> uh, so Raymond M. Lloyd yeah. was born May 13th, 1964. So you have been like 32 at this time. Yeah, which is funny because in the WCW magazine profile of him mm-hmm. uh, that I, I bought on eBay, I bought... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's described as just being one of... He's, they say something like... Uh, He's in the 20-somethings generation. Oh, so they want you sure. to like really think of this guy as like a young guy. That's important to them, you know, mm-hmm. that they, they shaved a few years off his real age. But they didn't say like he is 20-something. He's right. just part of the He's generation. in the 20-something generation. Yeah. He goes on to say that he then met many of Japan's greatest wrestlers who taught him what they knew and that he blended that with the awesome martial arts that, <laughs> that he had learned. <laughs> and he used that to develop a new style that he believes is superior. Oh, okay. All right. So Wait. He's get, definitely getting us hyped up. Ooh, I'm so hyped. <laughs> Glacier says that the helmet and mask that he wears of the ring, uh, he considers a tribute to the gladiators who have lived through the last hundreds of years. This would be fine with an intense, deep voice narrator, like uh, um, who's that guy that WWE uses for everything? Keith David? Oh, sure. But yeah. Ray Lloyd just cannot pull it off. <laughs> right. He says the Japanese language is represented through symbols, and the one in his belt translates to the universe. Shocking probably nobody, I can tell you that that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) The bit about the Japanese language suggests that he's talking about, like, kanji, the, you know, little pictogram language of Japan, uh, you know, Japanese writing. Yep. Uh, He's talking about the the symbol for for universe, uh, which it just is not. I looked it up. This Mm -hmm. is not anything close to the Japanese symbol for universe. Uh, It is actually a symbol, and I forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Uh, it's a tomoe, a Japanese heraldic crest, 
Its meaning is varied, and it probably is influenced actually by either Korean or uh, Maori culture, but it is frequently just like a symbol to give you good luck. Like you just kind of put it on your door, on your wall or something. Sure. It's just, it's, it does not mean the universe. Mm-hmm. It's not kanji. It's not Japanese writing. It's uh, It probably <laughs> came from a completely different culture, in fact. <laughs> All right, cool. He says that the symbol above his eye means ice, which it might. I, I didn't get a very good look at it until later in the show. Mm-hmm. And actually later, uh, I believe my notes, I, when you kind of see it, it, I looked it up, and it is pretty close to the kanji for ice. Like, I can see that that's what the makeup person was going for, at sure. least. yeah. He also has a shield on his back, which has sort of a traditional Japanese demon face on it. Mm-hmm. And he says that that is a traditional Japanese depiction of evil, reminding Glacier that evil is always right behind him at all times. <laughs> In this case, literal. He maybe should turn around and face evil. Then he could beat it up with his superior style. I just can picture him like trying to turn around all the time and you can't see it because it's behind his back. <laughs> he just, just keeps going around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. He goes on to say, this is the worst part of the whole thing. He goes on to say that a glacier is a mass of moving ice, and that's what he is, a mass moving toward whoever his opponent is. <laughs> Glaciers move at a pace of, like, a mile every, like, 25 years. Sure. So if your whole thing is, I'm an exciting ninja, I wouldn't maybe say, I'm a mass of glacial ice moving vaguely towards my opponent at, right. a, at an almost <laughs> imperceptibly slow rate. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the next shot has the camera oh yeah the next shot is filmed like from below his waist which means you can just see above him like the lighting rigs and over to the left you can see the blue screen that they're filming his whole vignette on oh i didn't notice that yeah so it just makes the whole thing look cheap and shitty mm-hmm. it's just they're putting no effort into this whole thing at all i mean they are they're probably putting a ton of effort in there's just no attention to detail you know yeah he promises us, us that he will win at any cost as long as it's within the rules <laughs> Right when I was about to have a heart attack uh, by just how terrible everything was going, I was soothed by the great sounds of Ice Train's theme. We go back to the arena where Mr. Train comes to the ring along with Teddy Long. Train gets all the way from the ramp to the ring where his opponent, DDP, is waiting, having got the jobber entrance, without the announcers mentioning the match or either man at all. Right. They're so consumed by discussing Sting and last night's events that the bell rings and these two lock up with no mention being made of either man. Our man Dave Amatorp here will call all of the action and I will let you know where in the match uh, they finally notice what's going on. Oh, okay, cool. This match reminds me of the fact that WCW took Kimberly off television for no reason uh, and still hasn't brought her back. That is a, yeah, that's a sad thing. Not cool, WCW, not cool. And also, I think this is the first time on Nitro that a wrestler who got the jobber entrance is definitely going to win. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I feel like it has happened before and it has been DDP before. I'm not not 100% positive, but I feel like he's gotten the jobber entrance on a couple of his victories before. Oh, sure. Anyway, uh, collar and elbow tie up to start the match and results in a stalemate. A second attempt results in Paige eating the canvas. Ice train with a headlock, and Paige whips him into the ropes to escape, only to be met with a big shoulder tackle that sends DDP scurrying to the outside. This is also where the announcers finally start talking about the match. Oh, good. It's that third lockup and headlock. They're <laughs> like, they notice that something's going on oh, in the yeah. ring. Oh, yeah. Okay. Back in the ring, and we get the same sequence, except this time Paige does his uh, patent falling like a sack of potatoes through the ropes, or whatever <laughs> yeah, we would call that. Yeah, yeah. 
DDP returns to the ring via a very unathletic-looking top rope clothesline, which he subsequently rates a 10. Stomps and chokes from Page as he assumes full control of the bout. A swinging neckbreaker gets an emphatic kick out from Ice Train. There's more kicks, but Ice Train seems to be ice training up. <laughs> oh, never mind. Discus clothesline drops a big man. I I just want to. I'm still always amazed with, with these early matches of how um, obvious DDP is like going for the diamond cutter is. Sure. Because it always seems like that, like we've especially that in the RKO, we always, we got used to it being like out of nowhere. Right. But so the fact that he kind of like put gets his arm around their head and like picks them up, and it's like, I think the other guy figures out where you're going for here. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot slower than I mean, Randy Randy Orton is certainly taking something good that DDP started mm-hmm. and really perfected it to another level. Yeah. So anyway, long way around, we were at Page going for the diamond cutter only to be thrown into the corner, which Ice Train follows with a belly-to-belly suplex. DDP gets to his feet first, but Ice Train is Ice Training up again. Ice Train converts a bear hug into a spine buster, then hits a nice power slam for two. A big splash gets another two as we cut to the merchandise stand in the arena, where a bunch of... <laughs> you were calling them unruly teens. I call them a bunch of nerds with NWO shirts. <laughs> uh, start blocking it off, in which they actually are taking like the, the caution do not cross tape, but they're using themselves as like the, the posts, basically. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a guy's going yep. around, he's wrapping it around. It's yep. like, it's like, yeah, I don't know about that. It seems like they haven't thought that through. Anyway... As we're doing that, the match ends. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, you, I figured at some point WCW was going to do that. If, obviously, by mistake, you'd think right, so. Right, right. So apparently, DDP wins, and Tony Schiavone doesn't know if it was by pinfall or something else. Because he says he thought he heard a three count, but there wasn't a three count. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh the teens are blocking access to the merch stand. They're wrapping the tape around. One of their signs says, who wants this crap? Yeah. Which, bearing your own merch a little bit. <laughs> right. Uh, back in the ring, DDP is down, and Ice Train and Teddy Long are standing and confronting Nick Patrick, who is holding a white towel. Apparently, Ice Train had DDP in a full Nelson, but the towel was thrown into the ring. According to Long, as explained by Larry, Long claimed that DDP threw the grabbed the towel from his shoulder and threw it in the ring. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we get a replay, and that's exactly what happened. Even though that makes no logical sense, uh, it was executed really well. Like, DDP grabbed it and threw it in a way where Nick Patrick wouldn't see it. Yeah. But it makes no sense why Teddy Long would wait until his own man had a finishing move locked on and then jump on the apron. Right. Like, what is what are you doing, Teddy Long? That makes no sense. Right. You deserve to get screwed out of that match, quite honestly. But also, I mean, the fact that Ice Train has a submission move on the other guy, but the towel comes in, Nick Patrick's like, oh, he surrenders. That makes sense. I mean, that at least goes along with uh, Nick Patrick is, like, crooked. Or or that he's, like, supposedly by the book, no matter if it's, like, oh, to benefit sure. or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, like, oh, that was his towel. That means you lose. Sorry. Yeah, so there's at least a few different ways you could go with why Nick Patrick would do that. Mm-hmm. But Teddy Long looks like a real goddamn idiot here. If I were Ice Train, yeah. I would dump him like yesterday's news, which is a thing you commonly dump. <laughs> right. We'll never know exactly what Shivani and Larry make of this, as they are overdubbed in the network version by DDP's fake theme song. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> After the replays, we go back to the merch stand for a brief moment where 
absolutely nothing happens before we go to commercial. Mm-hmm. They have like all these really nice made like picket signs and everyone has merchandise on. And then there's like some cardboard on the on the wall with like NWO like sprayed on it. Yeah. It's like what did they did they like get to the end of their budget at that point? <laughs> yes, they ran out of the printer ran out toner. No yeah. more toner in the uh, printer. Oh, it came in this box. Why don't we use the box instead? Conan appears in a bumper promo to talk shit, mostly in Spanish, to Super Colo, who apparently will challenge Conan for the non-prestigious non-title of Mexican heavyweight champion, as we mentioned earlier, later on tonight. Cool how both Colo and Juventud have lost matches uh, and gotten number one contenderships out of the deal. I, I right. want to get a contract that allows me things like that. <laughs> right. It also makes it so you cannot tell if the Mexican heavyweight title and the WCB cruiserweight title, which one's supposed to be better or worse. Mm -hmm. Because if you lose one, you just challenge for the other. So, like, I guess they're just roughly equivalent titles. (laughs) So, in Mexico, the Mexican heavy, like, version of heavyweight is the same size as, like, the WCW cruiserweight? Mm, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. And and also, um, because we were mentioning with the, with, um, fall brawl that he did not bring out the non-prestigious title right but now he has a, a title that is totally not the title that he had before yeah it is he does have a belt tonight it's got the triple a logo on it and the old one definitely didn't right um it is the like i think i have it later in my notes it's the los americas title it was one that AAA basically invented for conan mm-hmm. um he has it for a couple like i think till later this year and then he officially leaves AAA. He doesn't when he's in Mexico. He doesn't do AAA dates anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, and they just like retire the title. It doesn't even really go to anybody. So like even in in both companies where this title is defended, it's not really a title. Yeah, it's just something to give Conan to be like, I'm a title holder. <laughs> right. When we come back from commercials, we see someone sitting in the front row of the crowd. A young man with shaky black hair, a red bandana, shades, and a Jim Morrison T-shirt. I recognize him, declares Tony Schiavone, and I do too, because that's the former one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman. Hey there. Tony actually says that it was the one, two, three kid, mm-hmm. but he makes it very clear that kid was released from his WWF contract and is no longer with them. Right. Although Tony has no idea what he's doing there tonight. <laughs> Larry, of course, figures out uh, it's not hard that he's here to join the NWO. <laughs> right. Oh, he's from the organization and he's like best friends with the two guys in the NWO. Hmm. Although I guess in 1996, most people probably don't know what good friends he is with Scott Hahn. Well, But also all the guys that have shown up directly from WWF yeah. have gone to the NWO. Right. And yes. he's and he's also he's like just dressed like an NWO guy. He does, yeah. and he's in the front row seat like the NWO guys did too. Like, there's a lot of evidence that would suggest he's here to join the <laughs> NWO. We don't really dwell on any of it though, as Tony welcomes Mike Tenay to the booth, and Super Colo makes his way to the ring. Colo has some sparky pyro now. Good for him. He's earned it. Throwing his body around like a madman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we think, surely he's not going to up the ante tonight, is he? <laughs> The Dungeon of Doom theme plays, which is a really odd mix for Cholo-style Conan, <laughs> who comes out next along with Jimmy Hart. Oh, and here's where I have my notes about the belt. It is the AAA Americas heavyweight title, a secondary title created in February for Conan. Uh, the actual world title, the Mexican heavyweight title, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. of AAA, is the Mexican national heavyweight title, which at this point was held by Piroth Jr., who has held the title since February of 1995, 
uh, but just sort of coincidentally uh, is going to lose it in four days from today to Mascara Sagrada. Oh, good for <laughs> them. <laughs> I hope it's a good match. This match starts off with Conan holding Kolo by the wrists, tagging him with some forearm shots, and then going back to back, still holding the wrists, and then he flips Conan... Uh, then he flips Kolo over his head, like pulling him by the wrists. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool looking. I, I like that spot. He follows up by hitting him with a clothesline. Conan gets a whip into the ropes and attempts to hit his somersault clothesline, but Kolo somewhat sloppily reverses it into a crucifix pin for two. They train some reversals and leapfrogs off the ropes until Kolo gets a wheelbarrow arm drag to no reaction. Conan goes all the way to the outside, and Kolo comes at him with a hurtling senton through the bottom and middle ropes in just an absolutely crazy dive. Oh, yeah. He's, like, flipping between the bottom and middle ropes and somehow does not hit them and just crash and burn. Right. It's pretty amazing, yeah. actually. That does get a pretty good reaction from the crowd, so mm-hmm. he's, he's waking him up a little bit here. Kolo rolls Conan back into the ring and goes to the top, but Conan recovers and hits him with a sort of twisting superplex before locking on a nice little rest hold. Conan finally gives up on that and hits a good-looking gut-wrench sit-out powerbomb, which only gets a one count, partly because Mark Curtis is way out of position and very late to get over for the count. Conan sets Kolo up on the top rope for something, but Kolo turns it into a Hurkarana. Conan manages, however, to roll through that and looks to surprise Kolo, but Kolo instead arm-drags Conan back to the outside. Kolo hits a springboard baseball slide sort of drop kick, and then a springboard twisting crossbody that barely connects. Kolo rolls Conan back into the ring for a pin attempt, and Curtis counts despite Conan being under the ropes, which I only point out because we had just pointed out how good they were at not letting that happen in Conan's last match last night. Yep. This only gets a two count, and Conan soons come back into things with some kicks and a reverse DDT for another two. Conan gets a clothesline and slaps on a submission before focusing on Kolo's shoulder. After releasing the hold, Conan hits a body slam, then heads the top rope, but Kolo takes him down with a hurricanrana. He follows with strikes and a drop kick, and Conan is once again on the floor. Kolo hits that same kick where he holds the top rope and swings out over the bottom rope and sort of drop kicks his opponent. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call that, but he's sort of using a, the top rope as a fulcrum? I think I'm bad at physics and geometry, but... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Conan is laying on the ground next to the ring, so Kolo, the madman, hits a slingshot <laughs> senton. Yeah, he did that last night, and yeah. I feel like it's not appreciated how insane that move is. Yes. <laughs> Conan tries to recover, but Kolo heads the top rope for his missile dropkick, the same one that he hit last night also. Mm-hmm. At least this time the mats don't move, whereas last night he hit his hip right in the uh, concrete when the mats split apart. Yeah. But Tonight he at least gets the mats. But he, there is just a distinct thud of Kolo. Yeah. <laughs> just that, that was the part where I was like, this man is not going to survive. And honestly, the crowd gives almost no reaction to this. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty silent given what's happening. Back in the ring, Kolo whips Conan into a corner. He follows with a drop kick, but hits only air as Conan dodges. Conan whips Kolo into the ropes and then catches him for the 187, a cradle DDT for two. Kolo gets a desperation cover on Conan for two, and then in a corner, Kolo tries to float over, but Conan does his Alabama slam into a victory roll yep. for another two. Conan gets Kolo up for the Black Tiger Bomb, which is sort of a razor's edge type pose into a sit-out power bomb. Tanay calls it the power drop. He's been doing that for a couple... like. 
he did that and I said, haha, that's wrong. But now he did it again two nights in a row. And I'm starting to wonder, like, is that what they called it some of the time? <laughs> but I know that it's normally the Black Tiger drop. So I don't fucking know. Whatever you want to call it. It does get Conan the victory tonight. Uh, in about, oh, I should have looked this before. <laughs> it gets Conan the victory tonight in just under seven minutes. Uh, what did you think of the match here, Dave? This match was madness. Yeah. <laughs> I To me, so far, that was the most uh, entertaining Conan match I've seen. Sure. Um, although we haven't seen a lot. Of, he hasn't had a ton of matches or anything like that. But, uh, no, I felt like the Klo really brought more out of him. Yeah. And and sometimes I got the impression um, that Conan was getting a little bit stiff with him just because he didn't like how Klo was wrestling. You think so? A little. I felt like it was a little bit. Um, but no, I thought this was a really, this was a really, um, entertaining match. It was kind of nerve wracking because of how much Klo like just kills his body. Yeah. Especially that missile drop kick from the top in which he just kind of like lands really hard. And there are those like from last night's show when he was against Rey Mysterio, he would always, he has these moments where it seems like it's kind of a, a, a hard for him to get back up again. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so as much as I, I appreciate his uh his like balls to the wall way of wrestling. Yeah. It's just like how long could he possibly do this and like survive? Yeah, uh it's interesting that you say that it's Conan's most engaging or entertaining match because I know we said at Fall Brawl that his match against Hoovy was the best Conan match we've had, uh, that we've seen anyway. Mm-hmm. So it does you know, I know I'm just just putting it out there because I know how much you don't like Conan. That's uh, two pretty good performances in a row. Now, largely, he's just being in generally the right place at the right time while two more insane guys do a bunch of shit around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, those are two good Conan matches that I've enjoyed in a row. Yeah, I, I think maybe part of it is that um, I think he just looks better and performs better when he's against guys that he can kind of manhandle a bit. Sure. Because I remember in particular that match that he is like first match against psychosis wasn't very good. Right. But psychosis is like a pretty big, um, luchador. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. And so I remember that match wasn't being, that wasn't that great, but the fact that he has these other guys in which he can like throw them with, for power drops and things like that with relative ease and, right. and a lot less, I mean, there was some rest holds, but not as much as I've seen in the past with him. Yeah. Um, no. So maybe the fact that, you know, he has more more people that he's probably wrestled in the past against. Um, like, yeah, like you said, like he's getting better matchups, and I think it's because that he's wrestling the other guy, the other luchadors instead of, you know, uh, Bobby Eaton or something like that. Sure, yeah. I I couldn't think of an example. No, Bobby Eaton's <laughs> probably. I mean, I, he hasn't wrestled Bobby Eaton, but I know what you're saying exactly. Right, guys that work his style and not Southern wrestling style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We then go to the guardrail where Mike Tenez stood alongside Sean Waltman. Well, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. We surely haven't seen you in an awful long time in a wrestling ring in North America. What's the story? Why exactly are you here? Oh, well, you know, I try to keep incognito here today. I've been in Japan doing a little deal over there. I hear Nitro's the hottest show going today. I thought I'd come check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you're here. Well, what's the reason? I wanted to come last night. That big War Games match, the biggest cage match going today. 
Who won that match anyhow? I was, in the, I was on the plane on the way here. Who won that match anyhow? Are you kidding? Everybody in this building knows very obviously that the New World Order was victorious at war games. Oh, they did? Oh. Darn it. We need to take a commercial break. More Monday Nitro after this. Tanae wants to know just what Sean is doing here. Waltman claims that he's been in Japan, but he heard that Nitro was the hottest show going today, so he thought he'd check it out. He claims that he wanted to be around for War Games last night, but he was stuck on a plane, and he doesn't even know who won. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd think that someone in the arena would have mentioned it at some point, but right. he's feigning ignorance. Yep. Tanae tells Waltman, who seems, um, let's just say, drunk. How, like, how would probably, we say just, like, hammered? Sure. Because he sounds hammered. But I feel like saying that this is just all alcohol is probably being generous. <laughs> like, there's probably some other things that are, oh, that sure, are sure. swimming around in there. Sure. So I think just saying he's drunk is actually doing him a favor. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but, yeah, this is, I, did you, do we put a clip in here? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's incredible. I don't because I remember seeing the promo back in the day. Yeah, I, I mean, that was I mean I would have been like thirteen, right? So I was probably a little bit less inept and or able to uh, figure out when people are wasted or not, right? Especially since this is a person we like almost never see do promos. Yeah, uh, sure, but uh, yeah, hammered. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Tanae tells him that the NWO won. And Waltman does a pretty funny job of pretending to be disappointed. Yeah. He, like, snaps his fingers and says, oh, did they? Darn. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, he's, like, grinning this huge grin. Yeah. It So even though he is coming across pretty drunk, it's also still, like, pretty good in a weird way. Like, his just, like, being a dick, it's it, a, it works for him. It's endearing. It I, is. I agree. Yeah. I, I find, yeah, because, like I said, in the WWF, he, I mean... He never did promos. He never seemed like he had much of a personality. Right. And and seeing him talk here, um, you get you get the impression it's like, oh, that's another element about this guy I didn't know. Like he can give good promos, or he has the capability of giving good promos. So, um, that's a that's a nice plus because, you know, probably have to offset the fact that they have the giant in the <laughs> NWO. Gotta get someone else out there that knows how to talk. Tanae goes to commercial and looks at Waltman with just incredible disappointment. <laughs> just, he's so sad that this is happening. <laughs> just, it's, it's not that mad. <laughs> I'm disappointed. As we head to that break, we get a bumper promo from Hugh Morris. He says that Monday Nitro, giggle, Brad Armstrong, giggle, and then I don't know what. It was like so quiet that it sounded, this is what I transcribed and just my guessing don't be scared for weeks? Question mark. <laughs> like I don't understand what. Don't be laughing for weeks. That doesn't make more sense either. You'll be laughing for weeks. Almost makes sense given the character. Yeah. Uh, I'm so humorous that Bre- uh, that could be it. I'm gonna fight Brad Armstrong and he's gonna be laughing for weeks. I don't know. He giggles some more and then we finally get our commercials. Yeah, I think that he he was like, oh, I like the way that Sid Vicious does promos. Yeah. I'm just gonna turn it to eleven. On yes. That. Tony tells us that on Saturday night, the amazing French Canadians, Jim Powers, Mysterio, and Conan will be in action, plus much, much more. Ooh. The Dungeon of Doom music plays again as Hugh Morris comes out alone. Tony hypes the main event of Mongo and Benoit versus Sting and Lex. He says that Lex and Sting apparently have patched things up and are ready to go later on. 
I think he's just guess. I think he's he's not like reporting it. He's saying like, I guess since this match is on the card, they must have yeah. made up. Yep, that's that's the impression yeah. I got too. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, they're teaming with each other, so they must have made up. Uh, as my notes have here, Bard Armstrong makes his way to the ring, <laughs> and I if his if his gimmick suddenly became that he's a bard <laughs> i would love brad armstrong that's the only way to get him over he comes out with a mandolin yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretty thee let me treat <laughs> unto you a song <laughs> but no it's just brad armstrong in his dumb u.s flag jacket <laughs> uh my same my son's also named bard <laughs> Tony grovels to sing some more uh, with more apologies. Oh, <laughs> and here to call all the action in this one is our own lovable bard, <laughs> Dave Amentor. So that it's interesting that Hugh Morris versus Brad Armstrong is the match that gets like two entrances. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like at least one of these guys should have got a job. Or yeah, no shit. But nope, we get treated to that uh, red, white and blue Brad Armstrong jacket that he always wears for some reason. We start off with a couple of collar and elbow tie-ups, which lead to a headlock, which leads to some off-the-rope shenanigans before the laughing man sends Brad out of the ring with a shoulder tackle. Back in the ring and Brad Armstrong with a flurry of moves before he gives Morris a turn outside of the ring after a drop kick. Tony Schiavone says Brad Armstrong is, and I quote, consistently a top contender, consistently <laughs> successful, which is such a bold-faced lie, I'm just going to move on from that. <laughs> Anyway, Morris goes on the attack back in the ring, hitting Armstrong with a running splash. His second attempt fails as Brad moves, hitting Morris with a hip toss. Hugh Morris immediately counters with a clothesline. Armstrong surprises Morris with a small package, but he only gets a two. A body slam later, and Hugh Morris is on the offense and immediately goes up to the top for no laughing matter, which is a really great big man moonsault. Absolutely. He is really good at that move. There's no question. However, a lackadaisical cover is countered by a crucifix pinfall, which actually gets Brad the one, two, three. And just like that, the match is over. (laughs) (laughs) Armstrong celebrates on the outside as a shocked and angry Morris fumes in the ring. Tony sends us to hour two and Bischoff immediately takes over and welcomes us as Pyro goes off. Eric says that after the break, Mike Tanay will have an interview with Randy Savage. Rain says Randy is obsessed with Hogan, and we head to commercial. When we come back, Mike Tanay is in the aisle, and he brings out the macho man, Randall Savage. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Monday Nitro, the macho man, Randy Savage. from last night at Fall Brawl. Here it is from last night, Randy, your entrance to the ring for your matchup against the Giant. The Giant came to the ring and also, the Giant controlled the matchup in the early going. 
Then you came off the top rope. You took control at that point. Hollywood Hulk Hogan came to the ring along, of course, with the other members of the New World Order. There was a stare down, a showdown between yourself and Hogan. Then from behind, the New World Order, the attack, the chair shot. Typical. They dragged you back to the ring where the Giant was victorious last night. Randy Savage, Halloween Havoc, October the 27th in Las Vegas. Your chance for revenge, your chance to get the world's title back from Hulk Hogan. Living hard and living fast. Don't know how much longer I can last. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The nightmare continues. But I'll tell you something right now. I'm rock bottom, no I'm not. I'm a million miles below rock bottom. A lot of people say I got nothing to live for. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, guaranteed personified. You and me are alive on the planet Earth at the same moment in time. And guess what? It's gonna get really, really, really scary because of the fact that now I'm down to one marble, and if I lose that one, it really doesn't matter, brother. Can you take what I got for you? I don't think so. Bring it on. Oh, yeah! Macho Man comes out in his sparkly nitro shirt that Dave complimented last episode. Tony calls last night the most embarrassing moment in wrestling for Randy, and then forces him to look at some still images, a bold plan when dealing with a guy whose entire character is that he's completely cuckoo bird nutso. <laughs> And also, I like it because it's like he's wearing the same shirt, shades, and hat. Yeah. And they go to a they go to the stills, and it's like it's like basically wearing the same <laughs> clothes. <laughs> I wish I had the tweet thread in front of me. Uh, uh, one of our listeners pointed out on Twitter that that is the hat that Macho Man wore at WrestleMania Nine. It's got like a gold and white and purple theme. Oh. And I was like, oh yeah, that definitely is. I remember his whole outfit from that evening. Yeah. Uh, so he's taking the hat and just paired it with this new ensemble. Oh, yeah, that was when everyone else was wearing togas, but he's just Macho Man. Yeah, he's not going to wear it. It's like, good luck. You going to get that toga on him, Vince? I don't think. <laughs> Tanae has to narrate these images, uh, and just like the opening of the show, there's way too many of them. So he's just, like, awkwardly describing the uh, action through these still images. He's mm-hmm. like, you came to the ring for your match against the Giant. Then he came to the ring. Yeah. You had him against the ropes. He body slammed you. Like, he's just saying whatever is on that picture. Yeah, he literally describes the picture. And that's the the thing you need to describe the least. We can actually see that. Tell yeah. us the other stuff that was important. Yeah. <laughs> or just <laughs> take out, like, four of these pictures and just show us the absolute necessity. Yeah. He, and he's like, oh, here comes the NWO. As you can see in the picture, <laughs> he's there. Oh, he's got a steel chair. What's he doing with that? Tanae prompts Randy to talk about his upcoming match on October 27th. Uh, what was my wife's 14th birthday against Hulk Hogan. October 27th. Wish her happy birthday in the past, Dave. (laughs) How dare you stand there looking at me, wondering why I'm mentioning this. Well, you still got six weeks to get her a 14th birthday present, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, speaking of birthdays, you're like a couple weeks away from your birthday, right? Yeah, because um, we're going to the wrestling show like a couple days afterwards. Yes, that's true. That's true. And on my birthday, I get treated to the premiere of the Mrs. Reality Show. Ooh, <laughs> what a treat. What a treat that is. Savage starts off his promo with some rhymes, foreshadowing his years later rap career. Then says that he's <laughs> <laughs> Then says that he's a million miles below rock bottom right now, 
and a lot of people are saying that he has nothing to live for. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a bit extreme. Was it like his his parents are saying that <laughs> or <laughs> doctor is? He tells Hollywood Hulk Hogan that he and Hogan are alive on planet Earth at the same moment in time. And Tanae <laughs> makes a little face and nods as if Randy has just made a very excellent point about who is alive and when. <laughs> right. <laughs> Randy says that it's going to get really, 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 really scary because Randy is down to one marble, and if he loses that one, it doesn't really matter, and holy shit, Savage is on complete autopilot in this promo. <laughs> it is all just like the great, like the rhyming part at the beginning is just some rhymes that he's memorized and he's probably given in promos 3,000 times in his career. Uh-huh. And then it's Halloween Havoc, so it's going to be scary. And then, yeah, I'm crazy, marbles, blah, blah. It's just, it mm-hmm. it started bad, and it fell apart from there. I could also imagine for Randy Savage, as, like, personally, he probably does not look forward to programs with Hulk Hogan. Sure. So, I mean, just ideas like, okay, I got to give this promo about how Hogan's so important to me and yeah. stuff like that and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I could see him, I, I could imagine that he would, like, intentionally go on autopilot because he's like, I'm not looking forward to doing this match. Yeah, especially in WCW, because, I mean, at least in WWF, you're getting more money based. If you're in the main event mm-hmm. and the buy rate and the the house shows, you know, business as you tour. So you want to be in a program with the main event guy, even if it's Hogan and he's bearing you over and over and over and over again. Right. In WCW, you're getting a flat annual salary. So, like, working in the bottom of the card, working with Hogan makes no difference. Yeah. I mean, it does when your contract comes up, of course. But, like... There's less incentive for Randy to work with a guy who he personally detests. Yeah. Uh, so that's that is kind of an interesting point. To yeah, make. and it, especially I mean, even without like the benefit of uh, um, like twenty years later, it's like yeah. you 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 get an idea of how this match is going to turn out too. Right. Yes. <laughs> I don't feel like there's really any question as far as who's going to win that one. Savage heads to the ring for his match against Scott Flash Norton, and Tanae tosses it back to Bischoff. Eric has barely begun speaking when he gets word that there's a problem backstage, and we cut to the parking lot where the NWO is gathered outside their limo. By the way, so far, the NWO has had the worst luck of, like, places to be that's raining. <laughs> it's raining again. Yeah. <laughs> They're drinking from some red Solo cups, and Nash is yelling spring break, although it's mid-September, <laughs> which I actually really liked because that's a joke that I was doing for a while. Anytime I would, like have a beer i would just yell spring break yeah no no i i got it i yeah, liked it that was very i really liked nash the smart ass is so hit and miss but when he hits i just i lo- i really love that just smarmy funny attitude he's got yeah like his off the cuff like he's aces off the cuff nwo sting exits the limo and they all toast him that's about it i'm not sure why someone told bishop that there was an emergency problem they had to cut to <laughs> it's just the nwo who are there every week i mean their guy is the champion they know you know they're going to be there mm-hmm. they're just hanging out they're not bothering anyone this is the least problematic nwo like uh appearance we've had on nitro yeah they're, they're fine leave them alone yeah i'm also at this point i'm just like i'm not understanding where they're going with like this this sting being around still oh with nw like why is he still there yeah because it totally seemed like something that was meant for the that payoff of fall brawl sure yeah so i mean yeah this week maybe i can understand like they're praying around with him like right haha it see he's fake but we tricked you but yeah they they seem pretty like 
excited about having him around. Yeah. So I'm not, I just don't get where that that's going. I think that part of it might be um, you keep him around because it gives Sting a little bit of a program for whenever, whatever you decide to do with Sting. Mm -hmm. He can have a pay-per-view match. It'll be unimportant, but he can get one match out of kicking that guy's ass up and down. Sure. You know, just getting 99% of the offense in a five-minute match. Yeah. Don't even put it on paper. Just do a Nitro match. I think people would like to see that. I assume it's coming at some point, but uh, I know that Sting's schedule for the next year is going to be quite odd. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. As we go to the arena, Eric says the NWO is biding their time as they know that next week a lot of WCW stars are going to be in Japan. This includes Sting, Flair, and Lex. Meanwhile, Scott Norton tries to make his way to the ring, but he's attacked in the aisle by the crazy Randy. <laughs> so crazy here to call all the action is our own absolute nutter <laughs> dave amendorp uh my fr- my first note was oh i don't like scott norton's odds here <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know because the way they've been treating randy lately like anything's possible sure sure but it's like all this is like a battle between two guys that are like booked poorly right <laughs> who's gonna be booked worse than this one yeah, keep in mind, everyone, that uh, Norton is fresh off a loss to Ice Train. Uh, yeah, by and, submission. Yeah, and and all that got Ice Train was losing in a silly way to DDP the next night. Yeah. So clearly there's not a lot planned for either one of those guys. <sighs> Rough. And it's such a bummer because Fire and Ice had, like, the best potential in wrestling history or whatever. <sighs> whatever that stuff Tony always talks about, like, <laughs> thinking wistfully about the, yeah. da- the days of Fire and Ice. Like Tim said, Savage ran out of the ring and attacked Norton in the aisle, although both men are quickly into the ring as we get the opening bell. I just wanted to make a note that, like, they were outside the ring, but they did wait until they're inside the ring before they rang the bell, which is uh, always mm. a plus. Yes. Macho Man hits Norton with a big back body drop, then sends Flash to the outside, courtesy of a knee to the back. Savage is relentless, nailing Norton with a double axe handle smash from the top rope before smashing Scott's face against the guardrail. Back in the ring, Norton finally stops Savage's momentum by way of a Samoan drop. Savage tries to slow down Norton with punches, only to fall victim to a backbreaker. After dropping Macho Man with a couple of chops, Norton hits a rough-looking powerbomb for a two-count, which, again, it's like... <laughs> always impressed with Norton's strength, uh, because Macho Man's not a tiny guy, but he's, right. he just... I think he... It looks rough because it like picking him up was easier than you realized. Yeah. <laughs> Norton, in full control of this matchup, hits a power slam for two. An opportunity opens for Macho Man as Norton misses a splash in the corner, but his follow-up of corner punches, in which referee Randy Anderson got onto the middle rope and right in the middle of things and right in front of the camera, is quickly reversed into uh, a reverse atomic drop. Another comeback begins as Savage drops Norton with a stiff clothesline. We're back to the outside again as Norton gets up close and personal with the guardrail. Savage body slams Norton onto the arena floor with relative ease before throwing him back into the ring. I was also just getting reminded that, yeah, I forget that Savage is like a really strong guy too. However, Flash hits a DDT before picking up Macho Man and dropping him with a shoulder breaker that looked like it got a lot of like Savage's neck. Like, mm-hmm. if you got hit, like, right in the neck, yeah. that, w- that would probably sting a lot. Yeah, that's not a spot you want to get hit. Yeah. 
Uh, we're back in the outside, and Savage has lost his mind, nailing Norton's skull several times with a steel chair, which causes a quick disqualification. By the way, he, it's like you can really hear these chair shots. Yeah. Which is, uh, at the time, not as unusual. Nowadays, with less like direct chair shots to the skull, right. it's a little bit jarring. Yeah. Yeah, so how do you feel about the number one contender fresh off a loss on pay-per-view and being humiliated to close the show, mm -hmm. uh, getting mostly dominated by Scott Norton until he takes the coward's way out and intentionally gets himself disqualified? Well, I think it, I think it was just they were doomed from the start because it was a bad booking yeah. of having these two. I mean, he could have faced, like, Savage could have faced anyone, like one of the amazing French Canadians. Yeah literally anyone else you know it's just norton lost last night to train like clearly you don't care about him right now so why is he protected so much against the number one contender it's fucking stupid i mean it really bothered me because the one thing i'm looking for right now is establishing randy savage as a genuine threat to hulk hogan who's backed up by five or six of the like wrestler huge wrestlers yeah a former intercontinental champion a former world champion mm -hmm. ted dibiase you know, yeah. uh, and now uh, one, two, three kid and the fucking giant. Yeah. The biggest guy in your organization. Yeah. It's insane to think like, well, we'll send Randy out there, but we really need Norton to get most of the offense in this one. And we can't have a clean win. It's, right. it's insane. No, I don't know. It just like I said, it, this doesn't really help anyone. Uh, another thing I want to talk about during the match, uh, the announcers talk about this. Bischoff says Sting was in Japan to promote the upcoming tour uh, that we've talked about where all the guys are going to be in Japan next week, including Sting. Bischoff makes it sound the way he phrases it now is that he knew that Sting was going to be in Japan. So when he saw Sting jump out of the limo last week, he was like, oh, he must not have gone to Japan because here he is in front of my eyes. And it's just he sort of never mentioned on the show to us that he thought Sting was in Japan. Like, right. he was just like, oh, I guess that's Sting, and and left out some crucial information that we could have used. Mm -hmm. So that's another way they're trying to get some logic into this. Uh, we'll get there again as Sting gives a promo a little later on. That'll kind of be the last bit. Uh, the only other thing I want to talk about in that match, uh, I don't know if you saw my screenshot on Twitter, at one point, a fat kid in the crowd on the hard cam yeah. pulls up his shirt and does a little jumpy jiggly dance. Yeah. No, Did I you saw... talk about it? No. I, I zoned out for a minute because I zoned out on this match when it was on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw um, I saw that when it happened, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. that was from that tweet. <laughs> That's from that tweet I saw. Hey, it's from that tweet. Savage parades around with a chair and is confronted by Nick Patrick. Savage drops the chair, grabs Patrick by both sides of the head, and throws him into the ring. Um, Nick Patrick wasn't the ref, wasn't, wasn't the ref for the match, but he showed up cause there was like three referees that were down there. Yeah. But when he threw Patrick into the ring, he got such a cheer from the crowd. Yeah. They hate Nick Patrick. Just right the now. idea of him getting beaten up. And it's just like, you wonder if they'll pick up on that and be like, Oh wait, we should have a payoff for this at some point. Yeah. <laughs> cause it seems like. You know, you've you shoved it down the throat of the fans for so long. They're going to want to see the payoff. And just the idea that he was getting his comeuppance was like, like they went crazy for it. Right. Savage heads to the back to thunderous cheers. Norton gets his arm raised for the weak DQ victory. And we go to the announce table and our hour two commentators, Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay. 
Tanay says that he's talked about the lack of leadership in WCW before, but this time he smartly specifies among the WCW stars so Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff doesn't get all pissy with him on air That's like last time. Probably a good move. <laughs> hey, see, at least he's learning on the job experience. Hey, no one said Mike Tanay wasn't a smart guy. Yeah. They wrap up and we head to a commercial, but not before a little pre-tape bumper promo with Big Bubba. He derisively calls Glacier Karate Man, which is not much of an insult if your entire life has been devoted to karate. Mm -hmm. It'd be like if you called me Pizza Man. I'd be like, hell yeah, pizza rules. (laughs) (laughs) I love pizza. (laughs) (laughs) He then makes a few Karate Kid references before saying that that stuff won't work in WCW. He promises to beat Glacier up. When we come back from commercial, we are in a dark arena with some faint blue light. Suddenly, techno music plays and lasers shoot out from above the entrance area. <laughs> we cut to a shot of the ramp and Glacier karates his way through the curtain. So here's, here's the thing. The fact that I've heard that theme song so many times yeah. during commercials, yeah. it sounds like a commercial theme song plays. <laughs> sure. And it's just like, this doesn't feel intimidating. It feels like like uh, like the Car X commercial like jingle plays yeah, or something yeah. like that. He came out to oh 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 O'Reilly's <laughs> right. and he's just karateing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally making his debut as Glacier is Ray Lloyd. Lloyd is the son of a police officer and a lifelong wrestling fan and athlete. He was an all state football player as a high schooler, in addition to competing in shot put and discus. He's also a competitive practitioner of karate winning many full-contact tournaments in the United States Southeastern Super Heavyweight title in the World Karate Association. Super Heavyweight? Yeah. In kar- yeah, I guess. I mean, in karate, it's probably like oh. 190 and above, 200 and above. Oh, sure. I mean, he doesn't... I mean, against Bubba, he doesn't look big, but Bubba's a huge guy. Yeah, and I just don't think there's a lot of fat karate elite athletes. <laughs> <laughs> right. His only loss in official competition came by way of disqualification, He was never so much as knocked down by an opponent. He only gave up on karate when kicks below the knee were made legal as he didn't want to get injured and ruin his future football prospects. Mm, He was like, oh, well, if they can kick me in the knees, I think this is probably a smart time to get out of this. Also, it's pretty badass. It's like I dominated the sport. Then I left. Yeah. You know, yeah, never. He never got his comeuppance. (laughs) (laughs) He played college ball, got a degree in education and shortly thereafter started his wrestling career in Georgia. He worked a little bit with WCW in 1989, but mostly worked in the Georgia Indies while also coaching high school football. On the Indies, he worked with other Atlanta-based wrestlers, including Scotty Riggs, Marcus Bagwell, and Disco Inferno. During another stint with WCW in 1993 as Sugar Ray Lloyd, Ray was booked to lose to the great Muda at a house show. Muda was so impressed with Lloyd that he encouraged him to move to Japan, which Lloyd did. He then worked in UWFI, the quasi-shoot organization. Oh, yep. Uh, we've mm-hmm. talked about before. I mean, it is fixed. It's wrestling, but they made it look like shoot fighting as much as possible. Uh-huh. Uh, and he returned to the U.S. in early 1996 as the UWFI began to go down, uh, close yeah. up shop, run out of business. I don't know what the... In flames. Why am I, yeah, go down in flames. During a conversation with friend Diamond Dallas Page, Lloyd mentioned his karate background and DDP knew that was the exact kind of thing that would impress karate lover and practitioner Eric Bischoff. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> he was like, oh, dude, you know karate? I can get you a job based solely on that fact. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he set up a meeting between the two. That meeting resulted in a contract for Lloyd. 
Bischoff decided that Lloyd would be perfect for the character of Glacier, an attempt by WCW to capitalize on the success of Mortal Kombat and the character of Sub-Zero. According to comments made by Lloyd on Dave Penzer's podcast, this also may have actually been an edict given to Bischoff in order to indirectly promote Mortal Kombat, as the 1995 Mm. movie and the 1996 animated series based on the video game were produced by New Line Cinema, which was owned by Ted Turner. Okay. So even though he owns the company, it would still be like you'd still have to get the rights to Sub-Zero and all that. And it's a whole licensing thing. Yeah. So this way you're kind of ripping off your own property, Mm -hmm. but everyone knows what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I think they kind of thought like we're still promoting the general idea of Mortal Kombat and we're just skipping the legalities of getting like the character name slapped on there. Right. Uh, so that's just something that I heard from Ray Lloyd himself in an interview, and it, it does seem plausible given that Turner owned uh, Mortal Kombat and they were making a show at this time. They were making a cartoon. Yeah. Of course, the character was meant to debut months ago, but the unexpected rise of the NWO has sucked any extra oxygen that the character would have needed to make a splash. So it's been months of waiting around. Obviously, hopes were high for the success of the character as WCW worked with Atlanta-based AFX Studios to create a costume and entrance that cost over a half a million dollars. Wait, what now? Yeah, the lasers, the snowflakes that come down, the or- suit of armor that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in total, over $500,000. I, You know, when they were doing that promo, I uh, there was a moment where I was like, this outfit's really well done. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's pretty, it's good. Mm-hmm. Because Bischoff wanted all of this to remain out of the dirt sheets, he kept the creative direction for Glacier and the other characters that will be a part of Blood Run's cold angle away from the regular booking and creative committee of WCW. And we've seen as we've went through these months of observers, Dave was always really unsure of what was going on with this. He was like, Blood mm-hmm. Run's cold is going to be three guys. No, it's going to be these guys. It's going to be uh, Crush is going to come in. Like he's He's been kind of all over the map yeah. because he... Bischoff did sequester this away so that he did not really get a lot of information on it. So it's like Bischoff's well aware that someone in that in those meetings is like, oh, yeah, talking to Meltzer. Yeah. uh, Specifically, Greg Gagne is like Mm -hmm. notorious for doing it. And a few other guys, I think Sullivan. uh, Yeah. So if you listen to 83 weeks Bischoff's podcast, he'll talk about that, that it was a very leaky ship over there. And he (laughs) did that for sure. Yeah. So the guys that will be involved in Blood Run's Cold, which ends up being Ray Lloyd, Chris Canyon, Brian Clark, and Ernest Miller, all basically would like get together and just sort of map out the direction of the angle and the character. Now, how much of what they planned versus what actually kind of comes to fruition, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the original plan, like all the creative direction, was actually just put together by the guys doing the angle themselves, which is very cool. I like... Uh, it's very classic wrestling where like these guys are actually given the freedom for creative direction themselves. Yeah. And it's like, it's like old school besides, uh, you know, since it's like this big budget production right. essentially yeah. that they would just be told what to do. The fact that they're able to kind of work on it on their own would also, I mean, to me that would also make it just higher quality because they're going to be more passionate and more into it. Right. So. Okay. So back to Glacier's entrance. Now we've talked before about who essentially looks like sub zero and specifically, you have to think of the unmasked appearance uh, that Sub-Zero has in Mortal Kombat 3, where they took off his ninja mask that makes him look just like Scorpion and Reptile and Noob Saibot and all the other fucking ninjas in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, so he wears a blue and black singlet, 
but during his entrance, he also wears some armor that's strapped on, including a shoulder piece and a shield on his back with the Japanese demon that we've uh, referenced earlier. He also wears a samurai-style helmet uh, and a... He also wears a samurai-style helmet and a blue mask with some silver trim that has design over his mouth and nose. Now, he will remove the mask before he wrestles. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gets both aspects of the Sub-Zero look. You've got the masked version from 1 and 2, and then the unmasked version from Mortal Kombat 3. Also, he has the little added touch of the... the, the eye lens in one eye where one eye is like blue blue contact in there yeah yeah he does some martial arts right at the top of the aisle bischoff explains that this is a kata a traditional martial arts exercise glacier then removes his helmet and does some more posing what appears to be snow is now falling throughout the arena i'm not sure what was actually used here but i know in displays like this where they're doing kind of like winter at the mall and that kind of thing yeah they'll usually use soap flakes because those are not like they don't irritate the skin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I'm guessing what's that's what they're using. But I don't know that for a fact. He makes his way to the ring and gets set up on the second rope and removes his armor and mask. He then poses and yells and sounds like he's getting a pretty good reaction from the live crowd. But his music is pretty loud. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're hearing anything, he must be getting something of a reaction. Yeah. And like this pose on the on the corner, like yeah. this whole it's like a, a whole like sequence this is like what he'll do for every match too. Right, right. It's like the idea they rips off the mask and screams that sort of deal. That's it's like, a very carefully choreographed presentation. Right. Yeah, there. yeah. Yep. Lasers make a circle in the middle of the ring, and he does some more martial arts stuff in there for a bit. This guy loves karate. <laughs> Glacier heads to a corner, and we see a close up of his face. He's got sort of a banner pattern painted over the right side of his face. Uh, like an upside-down bullet shape from his forehead down his cheek. Uh, again, it's the same thing Sub-Zero has in Mortal Kombat 3. Right. So if you know that at all, or just Google... I mean, you can also just Google Glacier if you're really curious. Uh, it's got some silver trim, and it looks like a reasonable facsimile, like I said, for the kanji for ice is indeed above his eye. And the eye, as Dave pointed out, has a bright blue contact in it. The music ends, and at some point Bubba got in the ring... <laughs> It's like the weirdest jobber entrance where he wasn't there before Glacier. He like came out during the Kata maybe. Yeah, I thought I was like, oh, he was in the ring before. But no, I didn't. I didn't see him in the ring because when this whole thing started, we had like the the big arena shot. Yeah. And there was no Bubba in the ring. The music ends and at some point. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Bischoff tells us that Glacier's father was a law enforcement officer, as was his brother. And we mentioned that Ray Lloyd's father really was a cop. I don't know if his brother was or not, because mm-hmm. Wikipedia didn't tell me. Glacier uh, had to decide as a child, Bischoff says, whether he wanted to follow in those footsteps or forge his own path through his love of karate. Uh, the October 1996 WCW magazine, which I purchased, uh, goes a little bit into detail on this. It it basically just says, well, like we've heard before, that he chose karate. He went to Japan he met the master. The master mm-hmm. gave him a 400-year-old helmet uh, that has been carried by warrior for warrior. Yeah. Um, so that's he basically they're kind of setting the helmet up like a Undertaker urn. He's like, I'm always going to have it at ringside, and it always is like the most important thing that I'll protect no matter what. Oh sure. The article, the way the article talks about the helmet, you're really like, oh, some heel's going to like steal that helmet. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. totally going to be a thing at, at some point. <laughs> Glacier bows to Mark Curtis and then to Bubba and the bell rings. Only it's still completely dark in the arena except for the ring, which is bathed in blue light. Oh, God. 
I hate this. Yeah. I hated it when they did it for Sin Cara, which is the only other time I can think of it. Can you think of anyone else that got their own ring lighting during a match? Yeah, Kane. Oh, yep, Kane. Yep. Kane, Kane, I think, is like the most famous one. Yeah. Uh, for like first few months of his career, they did that. Yeah. Um, you I, said Sin Cara. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's another like good example, but I can't think of it right now. But no, it's is it's the same. Uh, and this is the the first. This is the earliest of those three. Yeah. Um, but it's always the same thing where it's like after a few weeks or a few months, they're like, oh right, this is a dumb idea, and then they do something else or they just get rid of it. But um, seeing how this is like such a big production, and they're really gonna be working on trying to get him over. Yeah. It'll, I feel, I'm sure it'll stick around for a little bit, but we'll, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. So here's my take on the the entrance and that whole, all that uh, hullabaloo, all that hype. I think it could have worked had we not had the package earlier that showed us oh. this was just some fucking dork. Yeah. Like, this was kind of hype. This was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me sad that they had, like, showed me earlier that what he really is like. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? What did you Did you like the entrance? Was it kind of cool and impressive, or was it... I mean, it's very 90s, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I did like it. Yeah, I felt I felt like it was a little bit excessive with the posing. Yeah. Like, we realize that you do karate, you know. I, I get it. Especially since you'll you'll see his ring style is, like, in, the, in this, like, martial arts positioning. But, um, no, for the most part, it's, it, it's different. It's unique to wrestling. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm not I'm not a fan of the of the all blue wrestling match, but um, no. Other than that, I I think I think his uh, the whole design of his character is great. I think that's well done. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I mean, now it feels kind of silly saying that since you realize it spent like a shit ton of money on so it. So much money on <laughs> it. But no, I felt I think it was like a, it's a really good it's a good look for a wrestler. It's something it's a little bit different too. Um, it seems like something that if they would have been able to roll it out like a year or so earlier yeah. before the NWO came out, it would have been pretty big. But now it's now it kind of feels like, well, we got to get a payoff for this now. But no, I mean, overall, and I and I think that he does a really good job with the, the character, like being the character. The character, yes. Yeah. The in-ring stuff, I think we'll let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Bubba comes at Glacier with a kick, and Glacier sidesteps and uses an arm to sweep Bubba's planted leg out from under him. Glacier ducks a charge from Bubba, then tries a high-standing sidekick to Bubba's head that comes up just short as Bubba clings to the ropes. Glacier dodges a Bubba punch and again sends the big man down to the mat. Glacier hits some kicks and chops in a judo throw. Bubba gets to his feet and catches a Glacier kick, allowing him to slap the newcomer a few times. Glacier jumps and uses his free leg to kick Bubba in the jaw. He then, like, he falls on his back, and it looks like he's supposed to kip up, but he just, I don't think he has the confidence in it or something, because he, like, pauses and then just stands up awkwardly. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, that really felt like a kip-up moment there, buddy. <laughs> right. Glacier misses a couple of spin kicks and gets Bubba into a corner where he shows sportsmanship by backing off. Bubba heads to the outside, and Glacier leans down to get him. And as Glacier leans down to get him, Bubba punches him in the mouth. Sensing an opportunity, Bubba comes back into the ring and lays in with some more punches. Bubba whips Glacier into the corner and hits a spinebuster. He does some mocking karate poses, like the crane thing that Daniel-san does in yeah. Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. 
and Mrs. Glacier rises to his feet. When he sees him up, Bubba tries to kick him, but Glacier again catches it and sweeps the leg, taking the big man down once again. He hits some chops and some kicks, followed by more kicks and a leg sweep. His finisher is a spinning super kick. I believe it's later christened the cryonic kick, although I think the cryonic kick is like three different kicks. Right now, it's a thing where he spins and does a super kick. Yeah. I think it changed. I think at one point, it's off the top rope uh, for a little bit. So he's still settling on exactly what the cryonic kick is. Sure. But they don't call it anything in this match. No, 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 not at all. I didn't think this match was really bad per se, but it felt very, very, very rehearsed. Yes. Um, someone, I forget where I read it, might have been on the history of the WWE uh, in their write-up of, I think it was actually his next match. They called it a stunt show, and I think that's a very accurate description. This did uh-huh. not feel like a professional wrestling match. It felt like a choreographed fight sequence. It felt like a stunt show. Yeah. Um, so it's almost hard to say what I think of him as a wrestler right now. As a performer, as a stunt performer, as a fake karate fighter, mm-hmm. he's fine. Yeah. And Bubba's like a good person in there to work with because he can take bumps and he's good at making himself look foolish yep. uh, in a in an entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the jury's still very much out on Glacier, the in-ring character. Uh, Glacier, the guy who comes down to the ring, it's fucking awesome. Glacier, the guy who gives promos, is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> So there's really a couple different ways this character can go. And I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, how how it where does it go from here? It's it's that's going to be a big question, I think, for Nitro in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, I I I agree. And I'm I am still wondering why they did that video earlier and had him talk. Oh, boy. I mean, that. I feel like this whole this whole like all these segments from tonight he would have came off a lot better if they didn't have that video. Um, but no, I, I, I like the idea of, uh, of a wrestler that just has a different, like a unique approach to his wrestling. Yeah. Cause he is kind of like, I mean, he's kind of like in the mortal combat stance too, like ready to fight. Um, and, but like you said, it, it feels really rehearsed. Um, it's something where it's like, it does, yeah. It's like a, a like a fight scene, but it's like from a low budget movie, in which it just doesn't it doesn't look realistic. Yeah. Um. But I think that it, with like time and maybe a little bit more like confidence and experience in the ring, yeah. it could it could come off pretty well. But yeah, so it's something where it's like I feel like there's some potential there, especially since the wrestler that's doing it is really into the character, which to me is always the, the most important part. Is if they're like if they buy into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's store it's still kind of wait and see. And like you said that like, this is such a rehearse, like, like they just wanted to get like this first match out of the way sort of deal. Yeah. That w- I'm not, I'm not really sure what to expect yet. The snow falls once again, and Mark Curtis raises glaciers hand, more lasers, more posing. Tanae claims that the temperature in the building has dropped 20 or 30 degrees. <laughs> right. And Bobby agrees that it does feel cold. And you can almost feel Bischoff rolling his eyes, mm-hmm. even though he's the executive vice president of this television program. Mm-hmm. Like, he's deciding that we're presenting this character this way. But it's just, he doesn't say anything. So maybe I'm just totally reading into it. I just feel like the two announcers are like, boy, it's freezing in here. And he's like, well, time for commercial. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's not talk about this anymore, guys. <laughs> 
When we get back from break, Bischoff talks about the long list of demands by the NWO, but the crowd is distracted by someone coming to the ring. Someone who turns out to be Sting. Now, wait a minute, I'm hearing that Sting. Sting is on his way to the ring. Which one? This, this is a little weird. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Looks like Sting. The Stinger is here. Let's hear what he has to say. I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from LA to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people, I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends gout the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. It's like a little, so little symbolism I heard Lex here. Luger we say, turned our backs on him. I know and I guess where he's he lives. I know where he works out. I'm going to go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night. And what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face to face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I gotta say is, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I like carry the tone the of this WCW at all. And I the WCW banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people, I mean, that never doubted the stinger. I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that uh -oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger. From time to time, I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. What about tonight? What did he mean? What about tonight? Sting says that last Monday, he was on an airplane from Los Angeles to Atlanta. I guess he was supposed to then fly from Atlanta to Japan because he spoke remember they're saying that he's in Japan but in his own promo he says that he was on an airplane from LA to Atlanta 
So that'd be him coming back from Japan? Yeah, actually, that makes... Yeah, because if you're flying... That's weird. That directly contradicts everything everyone said. Or or maybe... Yeah, he was in Japan, but Monday was the day he came back. I guess. I can't be on... That's that's my travel day. Yeah, I can't. Oh I can't be on Nitro. It's my travel day. When he got to Atlanta, he turned on Nitro. He says he felt like he was seeing a rerun because he was looking at a duplicate of himself. Bischoff points out that Sting is situating himself away from the hard cam with his back to us, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a nice point, and it's it's I like it, but Bischoff will not shut up about it for the rest of the night. Yeah. He's like, he wouldn't look a camera in the eye. He literally turned his back on us. And it's like, yeah, we got it. We saw yeah. it. You pointed out once. That was enough. Shut up. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's the thing where it's like, if you want to have like symbolism like that, yeah. it doesn't work if you're just like, this is symbolic. Look <laughs> yes, at it. Yes. Look, exactly. look what he did. <laughs> it's like when you literally turn your back on someone. Yeah. It's it's the rat running out on the um, railing at the end of The Departed. Oh, like, <laughs> dude, we got it. We get, we get your movie. Come on. <laughs> right. We get it. <laughs> we just watched it. We get what happened. <laughs> Sting says that he saw everyone in the company doubting him. He says that when Lex said he was going to go find Sting and get him at their gym, he decided to lay low and see what happened. On Saturday night, there were yet more doubts. And then last night, he finally went to Lex to tell him that it wasn't him, but Lex said he didn't believe him. Sting says that he's been a mediator and a babysitter for Lex Luger and given him the benefit of the doubt a thousand times in the last year, and he carried the WCW banner. Sting has given his blood, sweat, and tears for WCW and says he will stand by all the fans who never doubted him. But the doubters, the wrestlers in the back, the commentators, and Lex Luger can stick it. From now on, Sting is considering himself a free agent. He promises that we'll still see him from time to time, but only when we least expect it. With that, Sting leaves back up the aisle, high-fiving the fans, and those will be the last words that Sting will speak on television for the next 15 months. Yeah. It's a good promo, too. It's it's so it's so weird because you're like I I don't get what he what he's insinuating, you know? Oh, sure. It leaves, and the announcers will spend all night debating that point. Yeah. Uh, B- Bobby takes it as being like, he's a free agent. Oh, so he's, like, open for bidding. Yeah. WCW can try to pay him the most. The NWO can try to pay him the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bischoff focuses more on, like, what does it mean we're not going to see him? Like, what about tonight? Lex Luger is, like, counting on him in this main event. Is he going to be there? Like, that's right. kind of his little thing. Yeah. I like that it's sort of nonspecific because everyone can just sort of worry about it in their own way. Yeah, and I, and immediately I was like, oh, yeah, because, like, remember when Hogan joined the NWO, his big thing was telling people to stick it. Oh, that's true, yeah. And and I felt like it was kind of like, that's kind of like the, the, the unofficial swearing for sure. WCW. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the fact that he said that, I was like, oh, he means this. He means business about this. Um, I felt like the way that he said a lot of the pro, he was, like, a little bit too, like, sting about it. Oh, you think so? Just too. It lively. didn't feel real enough. It felt too wrestlery. Yeah, it's, it, felt, it felt like Sting was giving a regular promo, but sure. it wasn't. But it wasn't like it didn't feel like from the heart or anything like okay. that. Um, but no, the I think the content was good and the idea of like, hey, just bring, it's not just this week. 
I've been going through this shit for like a year. Right. And the fact that like, even though I've been trying to keep like everyone like friends and which is true, like how many nitros at the very beginning was he trying to make sure that like Savage and Hogan and Luger didn't fight each other? Yeah, we've gotten away from that. Uh, over the last few months because Luger's been a straight baby face for like a while now. Yeah. But you're right. This first year of Nitro, a major storyline was Lex Luger being with Jimmy Hart. Mm-hmm. He was tag team partners with Sting, but like he was a heel and Sting was a face. Yeah. And Sting was constantly covering for this guy, just constantly going to bat for him. Mm-hmm. So to have him specifically look Sting in the eye and say, I don't believe you. Yeah. Is a great uh, motivating force for sting's character to undergo this huge change that he's undergoing here uh it's just a really really solidly performed written um and like executed wrestling storyline it's been great yeah and it's and and the idea that it's ambiguous but you you get you get the idea from sting like he has something very particular in mind he's going to be doing something that he's thought out and he just wants you to kind of figure out what happens. Yeah. And and I like that. I mean, um, the one th- the one thing about Sting is that he, up until this point, is like probably the most transparent wrestler yeah. in WCW. And now he's suddenly like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Yeah. And that's, that's just like mind-blowing, you know? Yeah, we have no idea right now when the next time we're going to see him. The way he phrased it, you'll still see me from time to time, but only when you least expect it. That makes me like I was just looking at kind of the calendar of W where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would if I just had to guess. Yeah, I would guess the next time we see Sting is Starcade in December. I w- yeah, I would say either that or or um, like right after Halloween Havoc. Sure. If, if his idea is that it's going to be going for whoever the champion is. Right. Yep. Yeah. Because as, as far as we know. He, because he said he's a free agent. He's still wrestling. He's still calling himself active as a free agent. So my thought is that, like, if he's looking out for himself, he's probably going to want that that big gold title at some point. You know, Bischoff, Heenan, and Tanae are surprised and confused by Sting's comments. And with that, we go to the ring and David Penzer, who brings out the team of Chris Jericho and Marcus Bagwell. I think we mentioned recently. It's been a few episodes, but uh, Riggs is injured, so that's why mm-hmm. there's this odd teaming of. Just, hey, here's another young baby face to go out there with Bagwell. Yeah. I just And they're like, oh, we're good guys. So we're going to high five all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bischoff apologizes again for doubting Sting, and they continue to speculate about what Sting meant. Tanae thinks that Sting has chosen to go it alone, whereas Bobby thinks that he was announcing that he's available to the highest bidder. Ric Flair's music plays for quite a while, but the Nature Boy and his tag partner Arn Anderson don't show. We cut to the back where Flair, Arn, and Woman are trying to persuade an apprehensive Miss Elizabeth to come out to the ringside with them. Arn and Rick are not that sympathetic. They just keep going like, come on, baby. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on, <laughs> baby. They do not really give a shit. It's time to style and profile. Get your ass out here. <laughs> well, Woman is trying to get them to just shut the fuck up for five seconds <laughs> right. so she can talk to Liz. <laughs> right. Liz says that the NWO are probably here and she just can't make herself do it. So Arn makes the call to leave Liz behind and the horsemen make their entrance. <laughs> so here, here's the question, though. If she's worried about the NWO possibly attacking her, 
why would she just stay backstage by herself? Right. Instead of like, I'll be in the ring by the ring where the other wrestlers are. Yeah. <laughs> it would have made a lot more sense if like Benoit and Mongo were also backstage and she was like, I'm just going to stay with these guys. Yeah. But no, she, yeah, she's just backstage alone. It's just like in, it's like a dark alley of like the backstage <laughs> yes. pretty much. <laughs> the horsemen get some pyro as they make their entrance. Flair makes woman spin around. And Flair actually bows to a fan with a horseman sign. He is having a grand old time, despite Liz having a mental breakdown backstage. And that they lost war games yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And during that time, I was just like, that's got to be like the awesomest thing for oh, a fan. Yeah. He's riding high on having Ric Flair bow down to him. <laughs> right. He's still telling that story at a bar that's, right now. That's on his resume. <laughs> It's a remote control. What is that? What do you mean he didn't know who won the match? I was on a plane coming back from Japan. What kind of crap was that? Get one of those pieces of paper, somebody. I want to see what they are, what that is. It's all NWO junk. No. Oh, yeah. It's clear now. It's getting clear to me Look at that. every minute. Oh, man. Another one. What is he, the sixth one? What is this thing gonna stop? Quite obvious, we know we know why he's here. Exactly. Look at this. Propaganda posters. Well, week, he Thank would, you, Arn Anderson. He what? wouldn't answer the question directly when I posed it to him earlier, but I think we now have the answer. Obviously, with that remote control, that proves he's associated with yeah, the new the world sixth order. Member of the NWO is in the building. Cut to Sean Waltman standing on his seat in the first row. He's holding a device of some kind. <laughs> I don't know how to describe just a metal box. You know, it just looks like like what a supervillain has when they like launch a nuclear <laughs> missile or something. It's got a big button on it, which he presses, and we go to a wide shot of the arena, and after like 20 seconds of nothing... <laughs> right. NWO propaganda flyers start falling from the ceiling of the arena. It kind of ruins kayfabe that they cut to that wide angle so that you could see what was happening. Right. But it just did nothing for so long. Like, well, why did they know to cut to that angle then? Right. Uh, but it's still kind of cool to see thousands of flyers mm -hmm. start to come down from the yeah. ceiling. Bischoff is now annoyed with Waltman's earlier feigned ignorance about the outcome of Fall Brawl. What is he, the sixth one? When does it stop, asks Bischoff, giving the audience a little seed for what's going to become Sh Waltman's WCW gimmick name. He even repeats it uh, just like a second later, saying the sixth member of the NWO is in the building. Mm -hmm. He really wants us to remember that for right. later on in the show. We go to a commercial with flyers still falling. We go to commercial with flyers still falling, and Bischoff wonders if WCW can arrest them for littering. Have them arrested, says Bischoff. Have them put to sleep, responds Bobby. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's up in the ante a little bit. Um, oh, that was the that was the other thing. I was waiting until we mentioned that about Sean Waltman's uh, ring name. 
Oh, yeah. Because then that doesn't count uh, NWO Sting. Oh, that's true, yeah. So that that's when I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound very good for him. <laughs> His odds are not... I bet they had no idea how long NWO Sting was going to stay around for. Yeah. They probably had no real long-term plans, and it just is something that ended up going further than anyone ever thought it would. Or it's, or it's like it's like one of those things where um, back in the day when Bischoff was notoriously giving out large contracts, and it's like, well, we got to use him. We're paying him like $200,000 a year. Right. So <laughs> Yeah. Cobra. <laughs> you know, that's a good uh, clarification, too. We didn't say it on the Fall Brawl episode. I think we did in the episode where he jumped Lex. Uh, that it was that it was Cobra Jeff Farmer mm-hmm. playing the role of NWO Sting. I know, I know. We mentioned at some point. I can't remember which yeah. episode, but it was definitely brought up that it was former World Heavyweight number one contender <laughs> yes. Cobra. When we come back from commercial, the flyers are still falling. Yeah, like tons of them. <laughs> Bischoff holds up a couple for the camera because when dealing with enemy propaganda, the smart thing to do is to make sure to give it a much wider platform. <laughs> right. The two he shows the camera say, we beat you, now you're paying all the bills, and we'll do TV our way. (laughs) Bischoff sends us to the ring, and the bell rings, but the ring is full of litter. (laughs) All four wrestlers and Nick Patrick are doing their damnedest to clear it out. Mm -hmm. Of course, as they kick out flyers that land in the ring, the fans are wadding up more into balls and then throwing those back into the ring. Yeah, I mean, I saw... I think Jericho was the first one that crumpled one up and threw it like yeah. to ringside. And it was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Not only that, but WCW for months now, really since Bash at the Beach, has conditioned their fans that you can throw shit in the ring when you're mad at the heels. Right. And now they've provided the fans with an easily throwable thing. They're, they're, they're like showering them with garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here, do whatever you want with it. It's just paper. Yeah. It's, it's uh, whitey whackers all over again. Here come the pretzels. (laughs) Arn and Jericho lock up to start things off. Jericho applies a side headlock but is shoved to the mat by Arn. Anderson stays in control with strikes until Jericho hits a missile dropkick from the top rope for one and a half. The enforcer briefly regains the advantage until Jericho hits a spinning heel kick. Bobby says that he wouldn't be surprised if Saddam Hussein was a member of the NWO. (laughs) That's... He wasn't even, like, a big deal in 96. Like, what? this really comes out of nowhere with that reference. But that, I also I also liked that, that comment that's, like, just compl- everyone was just like, nope, not touching that. Not not going there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Bobby. We're leaving you. We're going to leave you out to dry on that one. Bischoff, meanwhile, says that Ted DiBiase came to him yesterday and confirmed that Bischoff is indeed the executive vice president of WCW. He says that DiBiase pointed out that the NWO had not yet signed their contract for the War Games match, and in order to participate, they were now demanding that Bischoff agree to give the NWO their own television show, an increase upon their previous demand of just a segment. It makes Eric Bischoff sound not very good at his job. It also seems weird, though, that Ted DiBiase wouldn't know that Eric Bischoff was the executive vice president, (laughs) that he had to ask him. (laughs) That seems very strange to me. (laughs) They've said that on TV before. Like, mm. that's not really a secret at this point. I feel like it's something that Bishop added in there just to make him sound more impressive. Sure. Because, like, T- Dave Yasu could be like, listen, I know you're very handsome, <laughs> but we're going to renegotiate this contract. Flair and Bagwell come in and have some back and forth action. Flair lays in with chops and punches in the corner as the wadded up flyers still rain. 
Bagwell takes control with punches and gets a back body drop. He tags Flair with a drop kick, and the Nature Boy begs for mercy, but it's all a ruse as he tosses Marcus to the outside, where the Enforcer tries to take advantage. Bagwell, however, handles Arn easily enough and then comes back into the ring at Flair with a sunset flip. Flair stays on his feet thanks to an assist from Arn, but Jericho runs in and drop kicks Arn, and Flair finally goes over for the sunset flip pin attempt, but he kicks out at one. I feel like we've seen Bagwell face Elise Flair a couple of times. Yes, we on, have. On Nitro. Yep. And I've I've always been pretty surprised of how good their chemistry is. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I and like I feel like that Bagwell has a lot of potential. I mean, considering that like he has a outstanding look to him for one thing, but also that he just he works really well with like top wrestlers. Sure. That, I mean. That's uh, not everyone could do that, you know? He's a handsome kid. He's decent in the ring. I think there's a bright future for one Marcus Bagwell. That's for sure. Yes. Bagwell gets a backslide for two and then an inside cradle for two. Flair is angry and his mood isn't helped when he's clotheslined to the outside. (laughs) Didn't do anything to make him happy. (laughs) That's going to make him just angrier. He crawls around on the floor through all the papers before stomping up the aisle where he collects a big handful of them that he then throws down to the ground. <laughs> Flair is always in control of his emotions, claims Heenan. <laughs> what? Kind of the least, least likely time to make that claim. <laughs> right. Flair struts down to the ring where he confers with Arm for a bit before returning to the ring. Did, did he actually strut down to the ring? He did, yes. Okay. He literally did his okay. strut back okay. down the aisle. I could, I could totally believe it. It's just like, <laughs> if you say strut, I'm expecting that he actually was strutting. Somehow the legal men have just become Arn and Jericho, which, okay, I'm going to allow it. Yes. And after Flair elbows Jericho in the back of the head from the apron, Arn hits a spine buster. Bagwell manages to attack Arn, though, before he can go for a pin. Flair gets tagged in and drops a knee and tosses a wadded flyer back into the crowd. He punches Jericho a few times before chopping him down to size and tagging back in Arn. Arn stomps Jericho a bit, then slingshots him into the bottom rope. Nick Patrick tries to stop Bagwell from coming in, so Flair takes some cheap shots on Jericho before Arn slaps on in an abdominal stretch. Back in comes Flair, and he and Jericho punch each other a bit. Flair sweeps out Jericho's leg. Uh, I guess he was watching Glacier and taking notes earlier. Nice. Then Flair tags in Arn, who continues to work the leg of Jericho, beginning to set him up for the figure four. Always scouting the competition. (laughs) Or maybe he was like, I wonder why it feels so cold in here. Maybe I should go see what's happening in the ring. (laughs) We go to a split screen suddenly as the NWO are outside exiting their limo with Sean Waltman along with them. The Giant has a portable tape player, and he plays the audio clip of Sting that the NWO used last week to fool us all into thinking that the real Sting was talking in the limo to Ted DiBiase. So there was actually some follow-up to how they got the real Sting's voice in there. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for the little bit of narrative continuity. I also like that it reminds you that it's a mid-90s because he had a boombox. <laughs> the NWO Sting mockingly declares, You know you can trust me, before showing off his NWO shirt. <laughs> Back to the match, Arn is working over Jericho, but when Jericho kicks him into a corner, the Enforcer tags in Flair. Jericho makes it to Bagwell, and Flair and the American male exchange some punches as Arn DDTs Jericho on the outside. Bagwell body drops Flair, slingshots Arn into the bottom rope, neck first, then hits both with clotheslines. He gives Arn a bridging fisherman suplex, but Nick Patrick correctly refuses to count the pin as Arn is not the legal man. Flair kicks Bagwell in the ribs, but Bagwell gets him with an O'Connell roll, 
However, Patrick is talking to Arn, so of course he misses when Woman rakes Bagwell's eyes to break up the pin. Patrick warns Woman, allowing Arn to DDT Bagwell, and Flair struts a bit before locking on the figure four to the delight of the North Carolina crowd. An unconscious Bagwell is pinned one, two, three. Uh, I would describe this as just a decent tag TV match. The horsemen, they could have this match in their sleep. Yeah. The young guys looked fine. I don't think it really kills Bagwell and Jericho to lose to Flair and Arn. Right. Uh, so this was fine. I didn't have any problems with it, but I didn't love it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt. I mean, I felt like a lot of it was kind of uh, lost in the whole, the whole um, like flyers in the ring and outside the ring and everything like that. Yeah, it was kind of like a little bit more focused, and you know, then they cut to the NWO as well. Um, but no, I thought I thought the match was fine. Um, like I said, I just it was kind of a moment where I just realized, like, oh yeah, I just find that Bagwell is pretty impressive in the ring with like guys that are much more that his senior sure right like right now i don't think it's any sort of it's not ridiculous to say that like i feel like he has as much potential as chris jericho does right or maybe yeah. maybe maybe if not a little bit more because like w- when we've heard jericho so far i've not been overly impressed with his promo work yeah so i agree it's just it's just kind of weird like seeing how different <laughs> those those careers have gone since then yeah but at this moment i'm like I kind of feel like that Marcus Bagwell might have a little bit more going on than Jericho. At this point in time, I would completely agree with you. Although uh, that's also kind of discounting the fact that he had that good match against uh, Benoit the night before. Right. That's true. After a commercial break, we hear the Horseman theme as Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael make their way to the ring along with Deborah. Deborah tears up an NWO sign on the way to the ring. They are barely at ringside when Lex's music starts up and out comes the total package, all alone. As he makes his way down, Bischoff gets word from Nitro director Craig Leathers that Sting is nowhere to be found. So Lex is definitely going to have to do this one alone. We take our final commercial break of the show, and when we return, the bell sounds, and this one is officially a handicap match. And here to call all the action is our own overcomer of amazing odds, Dave Amatorb. All right. By the way, I would like to note that at this point, this is officially Steve Mongo McMichael's 10th professional wrestling match, and this podcast has covered eight of his 10 matches. Ooh. Lucky us. <laughs> Fortunately, we start off with uh, Chris Benoit in the total package, a collar and elbow tie-up, and Benoit is quick to take control with punches, but Luger counters with the big back body drop off the ropes. Lex gets in a shot on Mongo before hitting a running knee lift on Chris Benoit. And somewhere, a single tear rolls down the booty man's cheek. (laughs) Anyway, Benoit regains enough control to tag in Mongo. Some sloppy forearms before a Mongo piledriver is reversed into a back body drop. Luger gives clotheslines to both horsemen. So that was about three moves for Mongo, so he's tagging out of here. (laughs) Benoit back in, unloading with kicks kicks and punches, which I wanted to point out, a lot of this match is going to be kicks and punches. Yes. But that doesn't... It, it still doesn't like give you the appreciation of like the intensity of Chris Benoit right. and how his kicks and punches are much more interesting to watch than like almost anyone else's. Yeah. He make he gets the most out of every move he does in the ring. The crippler parades around the ring with the four fingered salute, which gives Lex enough time to recover and drop Benoit with his own flurry of kicks and punches, which are not as impressive as Chris Benoit. 
However, Mongo clubs Luger in the back of the head as he came out the ropes, giving Benoit the opening to hit a nice snap suplex. Uh-oh. Mick Michaels is back in. Elbow drop. Choke. Punch, 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 punch. <laughs> That's three different moves, so Benoit's back in the ring. So long, everybody. <laughs> My work is done. <laughs> nah. <laughs> say? <laughs> it's me, Mongo, see? <laughs> I call the shots around here. Yeah. Loud chops and headbutts are the order of the day for the total package. And we get more kicks and punches, Crippler style. A shoulder tackle leads to a lateral press cover for two. At this point, Eric Bischoff mentions the guys that are going to be on tour next week for Japan, for the New Japan tour, and they aren't going to be on Nitro. Yeah. I'm going to present you, this is the list, and this is the order in which he says these guys, so just <laughs> pay attention to this. <laughs> so it's Scott Norton. Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Hugh Morris, oh, Steve no. Regal, Sting, Luger, Bagwell, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and the Steiner Brothers. That's a fuckload of guys that aren't going to be there. That's now. a lot of dudes. <laughs> but I just, Scott Norton, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Hugh Morris <laughs> gets, gets called right after Flair. Anyway, uh, Mongo's back in. Whip into the opposite corner with a follow-up clothesline for McMichael, who stomps away on his very battered opponent. A body slam and a headbutt to the solar plexus, and now the crippler is back in. A double clothesline brings both wrestlers to the mat as there is some sort of commotion in the stands. I think it ends up just being a fan-related thing. It's not an actual angle. Yeah, but, there's like a fight or something on him. But it's all it's also weird because Bischoff should know it's not, but yeah. he still points it out. It is weird, yeah. I don't... I just... I don't know if he if he has this idea of like, oh, if there's something happening, we should act like it could be something. Which I don't know. It's like, are you do you want to encourage fans to like draw attention to themselves or I don't know. Either way, back on their feet and an exchange of forearms is won by Lex Luger, who knocks an interfering Mongo out of the ring. Luger then gets a power slam and then surprisingly places Benoit into the torture rack. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson rush the ring, causing a disqualification. I just wanted to point out that uh, Benoit got the opportunity to be in the torture rack and not give up for a good amount of time. Yeah. Which, which you know, he didn't, like, get the pinfall. But that also, when you survive someone's finisher, that's usually, like, it makes you look impressive. So yeah. being in the torture rack and not giving up is pretty, pretty, pretty sweet for him. Um, but, yeah, then we then – Flair and Anderson rush a ring and we get the DQ. So Lex Luger wins the handicap match. After the bell, the crowd goes nuts for Luger, continuing to hold his own on the horseman. But Mago eventually chop locks him in the knees and the horsemen start working him over. Arn DDTs him and Flair hits some punches. The horsemen destroy Lex and Sting is nowhere to be seen. Bischoff decides this is the moment to say that the NWO has sent word that their new member is to be referred to as Six. And then he kind of derisively snap, laughs about how stupid he thinks that name is. <laughs> Back outside in the, near the limo, Scott Hall grabs a cameraman and offers him a chance to work with the NWO. Well, maybe Sting's left the building. Maybe he he's gone. gone. We, we have, we've been told he is gone, and I'm being told right now the NWO sent the word in. The newest member is to be referred to from this point forward as Six. That's his name. Six. 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 I don't know. Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. He's a sixth member. Let's go. Let's take it outside. Hey, Chico. 
Hey, Chico, you tired of working for a loser? Come on, let's see what kind of work you can do. Maybe you can be part of the NWO. Let's see what kind of work you can do. The party begins. Look at this, they're watching Nitro inside of a limo. Identifies. Hey, billionaire, you Brothers, I'm glad we watched the show tonight because, you know, everybody in the WCW is going to Japan except for one guy next week. Told you, Eric. Macho man. Come on, get him. I dig him the most, Hulk. Can you get me a ticket? Come on, man. Who's Macho that? man's your favorite. Hey, He's your favorite. Yes. Hey, what about you? Are you guys? I, I believe I'm available. Six. So I'm, here for your free I'm available. Oh, yeah. You know something? Since you guys have worked Woo. so hard, and you've like got the NWO up and running, and we're taking over the whole world, brother. We're, we're supposed I to call him Six. I can arrange to get tickets for this. Are you going? Oh, no! Hey, no! hey, no! hey, Ted. I, know, I, got, I got some pull on here because I'm the champ. I might be able to get us backstage passes. All right, we've heard enough of this. Let's get out of this. Luger is hammered inside of the ring by the horsemen. These guys planning to take over Nitro next week, celebrating with the newest member, Six. This is getting to be too much. Luger, I'm sorry, man. I doubt it's Sting, too. We see the full group inside their limo where they are watching Nitro on a monitor. Hulk is excited that all the big WCW stars except for the Macho Man will be out of town next week. Hogan thinks that as champion he can get the whole NWO tickets for next week. Maybe even backstage passes. Eric is worried about the planned takeover of the show. Luger is unconscious in the ring. And once again, the NWO finish the show on top. They're not even the guys beating up the babyface this time. It was, like, kind of outsourced to the horsemen. Right. <laughs> but still, just, like, their biggest threats, I would say, like, Luger, R Savage, uh, the horsemen, like, none of those guys came off particularly well yeah. as far as a credible threat to the NWO. Mm -hmm. um, and the NWO just, those guys came to the arena, got paid, like, Hulk Hogan, who has, like, somewhat limited dates and gets paid a shit ton of money mm -hmm. came to nitro this week and did not even go in the building right <laughs> that's such a weird job to think about what and it's just i feel like it's really weird that they come to the show but it's like no we're gonna kind of stand out in the rain instead yeah i mean the fact it's raining kind of like has ruined a lot of these <laughs> segments that's that's what i'm the mo i'm most interested in for next week yeah if it's raining again yeah. <laughs> you can read the uh, spoiler alert by getting some weather reports from 20 years ago. <laughs> right. Figure like, okay, they're in West Virginia. So. <laughs> so what did you think of the episode as a whole? We're starting off a pretty big story with Sting. Right. Um, I don't feel like we got a really like substantial follow-up to Fall Brawl. Yeah. It was kind of like, uh, I think we've said before, like, like an episode that's in a holding pattern. For the for just like for something else to happen, yeah. It, this just it just felt like, yeah. So the things that happened last night were like this is twenty four hours later, but like nothing's really like changed. It's just kind of like yeah. So last night happened. That was pretty sweet. We won, and we're gonna have our demands met at some point. Sure. Um, yeah. I just there isn't a lot to. I mean, besides the sting promo, there's not a lot to take away from this, and and I'm like already forgetting some of the matches that were on it. I think some of that's a feature of having so long to build for the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, and having 
a week next week where you're not going to be able to follow. Like if you start something big that demands like an immediate follow up, Mm -hmm. you probably can't do it next week based on who's available. Right. So you've kind of got this one where you're sort of wrapping up a few loose ends. You're introducing six Mm -hmm. and then you're promising us, okay, like next week is going to be kind of this weird bizarro land episode where the NWO are like the biggest guys on the show. And like, they're really going to kind of take it like, um, we'll actually see uh, in next week's episode, they take out an ad in USA Today. The NWO does. Of course, it's you know WCW paying for it. Sure. But the NWO takes out an ad in USA Today being like, ooh, we're really going to fuck shit up tonight. Mm-hmm. So like, I think you can kind of look at these two weeks as like these weird anomaly weeks uh, with the real build kind of starting after. That said, I thought this episode was fine. It was like a fine wrestling program that passed two hours of time. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was it was fine. It, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, it was not one where I was like miserable watching it. Certainly, it's not going in the Nitro Hall of Fame, though. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just another one that kind of slides into the pack, basically. Um, it, like the thing about next week is, it, is it just me or does it seem obvious like if all a lot of guys aren't there and, and NWO is going to be kind of running things? Why couldn't they have made that episode like their demands be met for like a TV show? Right. But whatever, you know, we'll we'll see what payoff we get from that instead. In our raw recap, Bob Backlund and the Sheik's new protege, the Sultan, debuted and defeated Jake Roberts. Bob Holly and Alex the Pug Porto defeated the Smoking Guns in a non-title matchup. Hmm. Uh, Mark Marrow defeated Owen Hart in the Intercontinental Tournament. Farouk defeated Sid via disqualification in the Intercontinental title tournament. Uh, so the finals are going to be between Miro and Farouk next week. Also on the show, Gorilla Monsoon, the kayfabe WWF president, said that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash will not be returning to the WWF, and JR is misleading the audience by saying so. JR countered by saying that Diesel and Ramon will both be on the show next week, and he brought out Pat Patterson to confirm it. Uh, so, of course, we know this is the fake Razor and Diesel. In kayfabe, I'm utterly confused on how, like, okay, so in kayfabe, JR has signed uh, Glenn Jacobs and Rick Bogner to play the characters, right? Right. How is the WWF president unaware that, like, these two guys have signed contracts? <laughs> Right. Like they're going to show up and have a sanctioned match on the show. I, he just has no idea that that's happening. Or, I know we're not a raw podcast, but that just the logic of that really is bothering me. Unless Jr. is just like painting them personally, like under the table. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they also aired a taped interview with Bret Hart from the South Africa tour, where Hart said that he will not be at Mind Games, as had been claimed previously by Brian Pillman. Uh, we mentioned that on our oh, raw yeah. episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that he's still undecided about his future. Uh, which is a work at this point. He has resigned. It's He's just claiming that he's undecided. Yeah. And that Pillman and Owen Hart are liars. <laughs> in our ratings roundup, Raw came in this week with a 2.1, whereas Nitro beat them handily with a 3.6, a 3.5 first hour and a 3.6 second hour. Uh, that full 1.5 rating difference, that is the largest margin of victory yet. And consi- I mean, this this episode was fine. That raw does not sound interesting sure. at all. <laughs> yeah, I will also I want to start charting this, especially because we're in the midst of this notable eighty three week period. Yeah, uh, this is the fourteenth week in a row that nighting that Nitro 
has won the ratings battle. Yeah. Uh, two of those weeks, Raw was not in direct competition. They either didn't air or they aired another night of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are 14 weeks in to Nitro's dominant period. Okay, so so Nitro, so for that 83 weeks, they count weeks in which Raw was not on? Or? I don't know. I haven't actually totaled that up. Okay, because I was like, well, what happens when Nitro's not on? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess so, we're, we'll learn that together. Okay. That brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheep. sheep. J.J. Dillon abruptly gave his notice to Vince McMahon that he is leaving his position in talent relations. This has been rumored since Dillon visited with WCW during the Disney tapings back in July. The legendary manager of the Horsemen left WCW soon after the Turner merger due to non-wrestling people being put in charge of the promotion. He enjoyed his time in WWF until a combination of WWF slashing executive salaries in 1995 and Dillon's reprioritization of his life after having children caused for him to look for a way out. The final straw came when Vince instituted a new drug testing policy and slapped J.J. Dillon's name on it as the man in charge causing Dylan to worry that he was being set up as a future fall guy if the media found out that the drug and steroid use uh, was just going on as it always oh, as it always had. Yeah, because this is like this is only a couple years removed from, the, from right. the court case. So he's probably like, what the fuck? Yeah, so like kind of without his knowledge, they put this new program and Vince is like, he's the guy in charge of it. And Dylan's like, oh, no, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I see what's happening here. <laughs> well. Time to hit the dusty trail. That suspicion grew when Dylan was pressured into covering a failed test by an unnamed high-profile WWF star. <laughs> Dylan... Is it Sean Mike? <laughs> I mean, if I was going to be guessing. Yeah, sure. Uh, that would not be a bad one. Or Sid. Oh, there's a lot of guys. There's a plenty of dudes. There's a lot of guys. Dylan hung around. Dylan hung around long enough to pay McMahon back money that Vince had fronted him to buy a new house then told Vince he was leaving. Bischoff was all too happy to hire him back on the strong recommendation of guys in WCW like Flair, Shivani, and Nash. Uh, plus, I'm sure he was happy to get somebody who could, A, like be an on-screen character, mm-hmm. and B, was coming out of McMahon's office and probably had a lot of information on who was getting paid what and that kind of stuff because he was in talent relations. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that was a impressive trio of recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to guys that Bischoff listens to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Shane McMahon got married on September 14th. Yeah, and he's and they're still married. That's yes, they are. I believe they have three or four kids. Yeah, because they were all they were all like ringside for him falling off the hell in the cell. Yes. Yes. The f- first time he falls off the hell in the cell. Because don't forget, he's done it twice. <laughs> Jake the Snake is set to join the WWF booking committee, although, spoiler alert, it never really happens. Okay. Uh, but he's supposed to. Oh, good for him. For a while. <laughs> uh, a current angle in New Japan is the return of Manubu Nakanishi, who we know as Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is coming back with a big push. He is going to have nine singles matches on a uh, current tour that New Japan is on. And if he loses more than half of them, he has to return to WCW. I love that going to WCW is a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> One, that's hilarious. And two, you know where this is headed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
In his first four matches, he pinned Tenzan and Satoshi Kojima, uh, got a shocking submission win over Ricky Chozu using the Canadian backbreaker, a rare disqualification win over Chono, and lost to the power warrior, Kensuke Sasaki, who we have seen on the show before as well. Spike Dudley debuted in ECW on September 13th. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, this is a funny story Dave relays. A woman called the WCW offices last week complaining because her five-year-old had spray-painted NWO on her one-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, on the on the fridge or right, something like that. Right. But no. Well, I suppose it, they it's like, oh, you sprayed it on their back, yep. that sort of thing. Yep, humiliating them. Cool. cool. Good for him. <laughs> Juanita Wright passed away on September 11th. Uh, any idea who she might have been? Is that Sapphire? Yeah, look at you. All that right. is indeed Sapphire. After a follow-up visit with his doctor on September 10th, it was decided that Jushin Liger would need to rest for a few more weeks uh, after his brain tumor was removed. Uh, so his first match back will be on September 23rd in Yokohama against Wild Pegasus, who, of course, is Chris Benoit. <laughs> Listen, we just got we just took out your brain tumor. <laughs> Can you rest for a couple weeks? Just put your feet up for a minute or two, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they they go to or they go to where he's laying in the hospital and he's putting on his wrestling gear and like, "Oh, yeah." Over in ECW, Shane Douglas collapsed backstage, uh, apparently a shoot. He had just done a run-in uh with Pitbull number 2 in a Pitbull number 2 versus Raven title match. He re-injured his back and neck after hurting them earlier in the week, lifting weights. Uh, he was okay after an examination from a local hospital. Hmm. So I don't think they ever really figure out that it was anything big. It's just something that happened. Huh. Dave reports that the plan right now is to give the NWO Saturday night, but he's unsure how that will work. Who will they wrestle is, is one of his questions, as we mentioned earlier on the show. Uh, and that's kind of a common theme that we're going to be talking about for years, literally. Uh, we talked in our ECW bonus episode about the upcoming Furnace and Crawford versus Sabu and Rob Van Dab match. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that match was described. Dave did not see it personally, but uh, his little birds told him that it was in the four-star range. Okay. Uh, and it ended in a 30-minute draw. Oh, wow. So I just thought we'd follow up on that since we had talked about it as a podcast. Mm-hmm. The Nasty Boys were mad at house shows this past week when they wrestled Hall and Nash, who were cheered by the crowds and played it up by basically acting as baby faces. So the Nasties were mad because they're supposed to be the baby faces. <laughs> you think Hall and Nash give a shit what they think? <laughs> I'm surprised that the Nasties give a shit what the crowd thinks. <laughs> right. You know, that's actually surprising to me as anything. I, I'm actually, I was surprised that this early on that they're wrestling house show matches. Sure. Especially since like, we don't get to see the benefit of them on Nitro ever. Although I suppose it's also the the kayfabe thing of like they don't wrestle that like the house shows don't really exist in canon. Right, right. So it's uh, the idea that like it takes a lot to get them in the ring. But um, no, I did. I thought I would have thought that that when they talked about like one of the things of of why they came to WCW was like the relaxed schedule. Yeah that now they have house shows that they're wrestling a couple months later. So right. I just find it interesting. Uh, a few days from now on Saturday, September 21st, WWF Livewire made its debut. Ooh. So just a little bit of a note there. That is all for that segment though. So there was really just 
one more thing, Dave, and that is our match of the night mm-hmm. and our MVP. Uh, let's start with match of the night. I'm going to go ahead and give mine to Juventud Guerrera and Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, unfortunately, I missed parts of this match as the show would not allow me to watch it. Right. They really wanted me to see some teens and some other fucking NWO bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but the parts I saw were awesome. Uh, Ray is just on fire right now, and I think Hoovy really benefited from working with him. I mean, Hoovy is hot or cold. Yeah. Um, and I think when he's with Ray, it's hard to be anything but hot. Yeah. So that was my match of the night. How about you? I'm going to give my match of the night to Conan and Super Kolo. I, I just, to me, Super Kolo is just like a spectacle upon himself. Yeah. Um, just... <laughs> Just to make a comparison, so um, this is going to be kind of out of left field. Um, so, like in in the, like the UFC video game, uh-huh. um, anytime after you finish a fight, it it gives you your uh, longevity. Like, so you have like a percentage of like you lose a percentage of your longevity. That is depressing as hell. <laughs> I am shocked the UFC allowed them to put that in the game. Yeah, that is grim. <laughs> but so. So I feel I feel like anytime Super Kolo wrestles, that like a percentage goes away from his longevity just yeah. by the way that he wrestles. Sure. And I feel like I should appreciate him while he's still around because he's <laughs> killing himself. God. But um, but no. But like I said, the fact that he made a Conan match inter- interesting for me, yeah. and it's also it's fifty fifty too. Like Conan put in a really good effort to me. Like he didn't seem like that he was coasting through it. Like he he looks like he coasts through lots of matches. Sure, yeah, yeah. But this match he was really seemed on, and legitimately I saw at least one thing I hadn't seen before, which was that suicide dive into a senton. Yes, that, that was, was crazy nuts. Yeah, absolutely nuts. So I I'm giving mine to Super Kolo versus Conan. Who? You know what? I'm gonna give mine. Um, even though he was probably hammered for half of it, to Sean Waltman. Oh, all right. Because um. Like I mentioned before, the fact that we basically found out that there's another aspect to him as a wrestler is that he can give. At least, at least I get the idea that he can give good promos, right? Um, and that he is he's more than like uh, than just the gimmick of like the the underdog. Yeah, he's now like just like one of the guys, sort of. Um, and I I'm just I'm interested in the kind of matchups that he can have, especially since like he's going from WWF that still emphasizes lots of the heavyweights right um in which there's like a cruiserweight division there's a lot of potential like him versus eddie guerrero or dean malenko ray mysterio there's so much potential there for yeah. interesting matches so i'm gonna go ahead and give mine to sean waltman aka six all right i'm gonna give mine to ray mysterio jr uh he's in my favorite match and i tend to give him a little more of the credit than Hoovy for why that match was so good. Yeah. I was almost going to give it to Hoovy and then I thought I just because I felt like it's boring to always give it to Ray. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I don't know that I I think I always think that. I think I always think well I can't just give it to Ray every week, so I never actually do. Right. <laughs> I don't have like a spreadsheet of who I've named MVP. So maybe I do every week and I just forget. I don't know. Sure. The point is uh Ray even though I gave it to him every week, he'd be the guy on the roster earning it. Yeah. Him and Flair could be MVP almost any week yeah and it would make perfect sense mm-hmm. uh, so mine is going to go to ray mysterious jr see i for some reason i thought you were gonna go glacier no no, no. <laughs> there's a I, lot that i do like there but mm-hmm. definitely he's not my mvp he's yeah. the most 
notable part of this particular episode. Mm-hmm. If it was what most impactful Sting. player or something, oh yeah, that could be too. But anyway, that's going to give us a wrap for this week. We're going to come back uh, next week and see what happens when the NWO are really allowed to let loose on Monday Nitro. Uh, it's going to be a weird show. I uh, I kind of peeked ahead of the card. We're going to see a lot of guys that, we do, that we've seen before, but certainly we haven't seen in a while. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be an interesting show. I'm looking forward to it. And we will. Do you have something you want to say before I wrap it up? No, I was. Okay. I, I mean, I was going to say that. Yeah, I. I also peaked at next week, and it's just. It seems like it's going to be a standout for weird reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so will that end up being good or bad? We'll find out next week, right here where the big boys play. Twenty years of Nitro. Can we fine him for littering or something? Have him arrested? I have him put to sleep. <laughs>